hour on air for the Martinsville NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off on Fan for Racing Radio. Joining me tonight for our show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, excited to be here on a Thursday night. We had Wednesday night racing. We're going to go right back to racing on Friday night, I believe, uh, for the Xfinity <laughs> Series, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. So pretty busy week turned out to be. It's, it is indeed. Uh, now, in our first half hour, we will give a few updates from the Arkhamenoid Series, the East and the West but they're not racing this weekend. Uh, and everybody's done except for the ARCA West. They'll be having their um, season finale coming up at Phoenix, and that will be on uh, November the 7th. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Uh, but also in this first half hour, we are going to review the NASCAR Cup Series race at Texas that took place just last night. Uh, then during the 9 o'clock half hour, we'll get start getting into the NASCAR Truck Series uh, preview at Martinsville, and then we'll do the Xfinity and end up with the Cup Series at Martinsville. Then 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Up with the Bamfer Racing crew, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a few things to talk about during that time as well. So with that, Jay, let's go ahead and get started with the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, the Arizona Lottery 100 will take place November 7th at noon Mountain Time. It's going to be go back three hours, nine o'clock Eastern, or maybe I should go the other way. I'm sorry, let me go the other way. That's three o'clock Eastern, and that will take place at Phoenix Raceway. So that will be the season finale for all of the ARCA series uh, because the ARCA Menards finished up at Kansas. The uh, ARCA East finished up uh, just a few weeks ago. So this is going to be it, Jay. Well, and again, they've had to work hard. Did the pre uh, doubleheader over the previous weekend here. Uh, I know you guys mm-hmm. reviewed that on Tuesday. A um, little bit of a shuffle up there in points, but I think it's still coming down to now a two-driver race there between Jesse Love and Blaine Perkins. But I love the fact that we're seeing – uh, a couple other drivers getting the, the wins, Gracie Trotter as well as Gio Skelzi. So, uh, and that points, it's 14 points, I believe, can be made up in one race, going to be tight. And obviously the way those two have been running throughout the year, uh, it's going to be even tighter. I, I don't know that 14 points is going to be overcome, but you never know what happens. Sometimes you try and race on Sunday and you don't until Wednesday. So anything can happen. <laughs> Anything can happen, uh, without a doubt. Yeah, we've got Jesse Love in the lead. Uh, 14 points behind him is Blaine Perkins. Gracie Trotter, who won a race earlier this year, uh, she is uh, in third place, 36 points back. And Jill Selfie is uh, in fourth place, along with Trevor Huddleston, who is in fifth place. Uh, 48 points from first to fifth. And uh, the points in between there are a little bit tight. So uh, I know these guys are going to be going for the best finish they can get uh, at this race at Phoenix. So I hope they're resting up because it's going to be an exciting race at Phoenix. Well, and and I got to apologize there. Taylor Gray, one of the ones winning over this past weekend, Gracie Trotter was two weeks ago. It was Gio Skelzi and Taylor Gray. 
I know Gray isn't as far up in the points, not doesn't have the same amount of starts. So I apologize for leaving him out as a winner this past weekend. That's all right. It was Gio Selsey who we had on the show on Mon- on Tuesday night, and I'm trying to get uh, Taylor Gray, but I'm not sure if it's uh, going to work out or not. Uh, it didn't work out for tonight, so I'm hoping we can work it out for Taylor Gray uh, to be on the show for Monday night. So uh, stay tuned for that because I'd love to chat with him about that victory. It was almost redemption because Gio Selsey kind of uh, – uh, did the bump and bump and run on uh, Tanner Taylor Gray uh, at All American Speedway in order to get his victory. Well, it could be it could be interesting. Maybe it's better you didn't have them both on the same night. But uh, <laughs> it's one of those that you know racers understand it happened. It wasn't a brutal what I would call a no. dump and run by any means. Uh, there definitely was no. some contact and aggression. <laughs> But uh, I'm sure that, that Gray felt that, that that was redemption indeed. Yes, to come back and dominate the way he did uh, at Kern County to be able to get that win was pretty fantastic uh, to see. But now we've got several drivers that have victories, <laughs> uh, including Jesse Love and Blaine Perkins. They each have three wins. You've got Gracie Trotter and Gio Salzi along with Taylor Gray. Uh, it's not just those top two with wins anymore. Uh, the other drivers have been pulling off some victories here. So it is going to be interesting to see what happens when we get to Phoenix here. Uh, just to kind of recap what's happened with the Arca Menard Series and with the uh, Arca uh, East Series, the Arca Menard Series, uh, uh, Brett Holm ended up being the winner over Michael Self by just 12 points. Uh, Haley Deegan won the Rookie of the Year award. Uh, Drew Dollar and Ty Gibbs runs off the ref five there. So uh, pretty interesting contest there for uh, the Arkham Menard Series as well. That one did, and it came down to uh, to the end of the year. Uh, it's one of those of you don't even know where to feel. Uh, I love the fact that Brett Holmes got got a championship. Uh, we've talked about him and his possible future in, in development. But we've also seen Michael Self, who got the opportunity to go full-time in the Arkham Menard Series and now has two runner-ups in the championship uh, by yeah. mere points. And that's got to be rough, and you got to feel for him. Uh, we've seen him throughout a year, uh, the emotions he has from race to race. To, to go through that second championship and come up runner-up again, you, you know, you kind of feel bad at the same time you're celebrating for Brett Holmes. Yes, indeed. Um, and in the East, it was Sam Mayer. He's going to be racing in the truck series this weekend. So uh, he won back-to-back championships in the East. Ty Gibbs came in second, 32 points back. Then it was Nick Sanchez with uh, Rev Racing, Parker, Parker Retzlaff, and Mason Diaz rounds out the top five there for the Arkham Menard Series East. So Sam Mayer pretty much dominated that series all season long. Uh, in, in that case, I would say I, I celebrate Sam Mayer. It, the one I feel bad for is the rest of the field because uh, they didn't stand a chance. <laughs> he put an absolute whooping on him. He did. He had five wins, six top fives, and six top tens, two pole awards. He uh, led 381 laps, uh, the most of the series. 
he he really was uh, phenomenal this season, and that uh, 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 second championship is certainly well deserved. Yeah, most certainly it was deserved, and he definitely earned it. Uh, like I said, there were some others within that series that had very good years, but compared to his, was just phenomenal. Uh, they obviously uh, come up a, a lot short. <laughs> I, I can't even say a little short because, like I said, he just had one of those magical years uh, and well-deserved. I mean, he's put in his time, and he's earned where he's going to be next year with Junior Motorsports part-time with a full-time ride in 2022, as well as these truck starts. I mean, we've seen his advancement that we knew that was coming. Yeah, Absolutely. So, okay, this is going to be it, though. This uh, race, the Arizona Lottery 100 on November the 7th at uh, Phoenix Raceway, uh, that's going to be it for the Arkham and Art Series, uh, and all three series will be in the books, and we'll know who the champion is for the Arkham and Art Series West. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Martinsville this weekend and then Phoenix next week. And uh, that's going to be it for us as well, Jay. Uh, so the season is really winding down here. Yeah, that's again, it comes to that part of the year where uh, we we do uh, feel a little bit of sadness. I know everybody needs that break uh, as the NASCAR offseason is semi-short compared to other sports. But you still do need that break, but it is kind of a, a disheartening the, the crew we've had together here at Fan for Racing Blog and Radio have such a good time with it. So, uh, but that just leads to the anticipation to the start of next year. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's go ahead and review now the uh, Texas Motor Speedway NASCAR Cup Series race because uh, they finally got that race in on Wednesday night. Kyle Busch finally went to victory lane for this year. At age 35 in the number 18 Skittle Zombie Toyota with Joe Gibbs racing with crew chief Adam Stevens. It was his 57th victory in 569 Cup Series races, his first victory and 19th top 10 finish this year. It was his fourth victory and 17th top 10 finish in 31 races at Texas Motor Speedway. Martin Truex Jr. came in second, posting his 17th top 10 finish in 32 races at Texas, and it is his 22nd top 10 finish this year. Christopher Bell finished third. It was his first top 10 finish in three races at Texas, and he was the highest finishing rookie. To finish out the top 10, you had Ryan Blaney coming in in fourth place, Alex Bowman rounding out the top five, the next five drivers were Kurt Busch, Matt DiBenedetto, Denny Hamlin. Oh, I, I missed Brad Keselowski. Brad Keselowski was sixth. Then it was Kurt Busch, Matt DiBenedetto, Denny Hamlin, and Joey Logano rounds out the top ten drivers. There were only six playoff drivers in the top ten. That means there were four drivers that were non-playoff players uh, in that top ten group. So your thoughts about uh, the group there, Jay? Well, uh, start at the top, I guess. Kyle Busch really didn't believe that he was going to go an entire year without winning. Uh, came down to the wire, if you recall. I actually predicted that he was going to be a championship spoiler and do it Excel. That may still come into play, but I think it's good for the sport in a way. Um, and I know I think I got this listed as a hot topic later on, but 
as a non-playoff driver getting that win, uh, what it does for him and his career and his stability, if you will. But you had Martin mm-hmm. Truixer, went to the back, had the penalty. We talked about it already on Tuesday when they were only 50 laps in, was back up in the top five to come home second, and that was his guaranteed ticket at the championship to win the race. But then also, top five, you got Christopher Bell, rookie. Little late in the season, we expected maybe a little bit better things coming out of him from this year, but we have seen some progression. And then Ryan Blaney and Alex Bowman, uh, some we haven't seen much of, and Alex Bowman's still in the playoff hunt, so it's a very important finish for him. But Ryan Blaney, another one of kind of regained some momentum he had earlier in the year before being eliminated from the playoffs. Yes, indeed. Uh, and, and speaking of that, the number 14 of Clint Boyer uh, actually won the first stage. Uh, it was uh, Kyle Busch winning that second stage, and, of course, he also won the third stage in the race. Uh, the margin of victory was .68 seconds. There were eight caution flags for 47 laps and 23 lead changes among just 11 drivers, Jay. Uh, I believe maybe Jeff Gluck is one that has it up. I always asked if it was a, a good race. I know I think it was 47 to 53 that said it wasn't. And I'm sure some of that factors huh. into the delays that they had. But as a oh, whole, 30. the race itself, I thought, was still a good race. Yes, it stinks that it took four days to get it done. I understand that. And the fact that NASCAR is trying to um, – compensate or reward those fans that stuck it out again we'll get to that in hot topics of what they're doing but the race mm-hmm. itself i thought was a good race yeah i did too i thought they did a good job uh and kudos to everybody for their patience in kind of holding out for that i know they had been told uh that they might be there through today and uh fortunately there was that window of opportunity on wednesday night and they were able to get the race in uh, so that gives them a couple of days. It's going to still be a very quick turnaround for these guys when they head to Martinsville now uh, for the elimination race uh, in the round of eight. So let's go over the points report here for this Cup Series. All right, let me get that pulled up here. Be following Texas now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Points-wise, Kevin Harvick is still your leader at 4,137. Denny Hamlin, 15 back. Brad Keselowski, mine does not have it broken into the playoff format, though. Uh, Denny Hamlin, 15 back. Brad Keselowski, 17 back. Then you have Alex Bowman and Chase Elliott, and this is very key. They are tied at minus 42 uh, 42 points back from the lead at 4,095. They are in that uh, first transfer spot because behind them is Joey Logano, and he has his victory and already locked himself in. So that means Alex Bone and Chase Elliott being tied at 4,095 are actually fifth and sixth, both of them outside that bubble. Uh, And it would be up, uh, quick math here, 25 points to Brad Keselowski. So Mm -hmm. there again, it's not overcomable points-wise, but they're kind of almost in the must-win situation, or they're going to need some help from Brad Keselowski or Denny Hamlin. And then you got Martin yeah. Truex at 
4,084 is 53 back. And Kurt Busch at minus 98. They were already well aware they were in the must-win situation. Martin Truex almost getting it done already, which would have put Brad Keselowski as well into uh, the bottom position. So Martinsville is going to be so intense, so intense. I think it's going to be extremely intense. And Martinsville is one of those tracks we talk about it all the time. People leave that track with their feelings hurt uh, because of the nature of short track racing. Uh, there's going to be some bumping and banging, and, and people's feelings are going to get hurt. But put the intensity of being an elimination race uh, where four of these drivers are not going to be part of the championship four to compete title at Phoenix, and it just makes it wild and crazy. It's going to be a wild race, I think. That's the point. I don't even know if I can fully imagine it, and especially when you talk about the drivers that can win this race. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports as a whole, always very good at Martinsville. We know Chase Elliott is. Alex Bowman, a Hendrick driver, has shown some promise there. But Brad Keselowski, and again, he's on the upper side already anyhow, Denny Hamlin, and then Martin Truex, even Kurt Busch. I know it's been a while, but Kurt Busch has some very good history at Martinsville. So five mm-hmm. of the top eight. And you got a couple of drivers, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, that aren't even worried about it. Uh, Logano, obviously good there at Martinsville. That's who uh, him and Truex are the ones that tangled going for a victory there uh, a few yeah. years back. So uh, just unbelievable to even think about how possibly crazy it could get. Uh, without a doubt. Now, I will tell you, uh, I do have compulsory audio here from Kyle Busch. Uh, I listened to quite a bit of it, uh, but I do want to hear, I do want to play for the uh, listeners uh, at least part of this. Uh, his comments after winning uh, for the first time this year uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series. He drives the number 18 Skittle Zombie Toyota. Hey, Kyle, are you able to hear me all right? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, that's what we want. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us. Congratulations on the win tonight. Um, can you walk us through your run and kind of how you're feeling right now? Uh, yeah, it was obviously um, much needed and uh, very very much a lot of relief as well, too. For me, having the opportunity to continue that win streak was certainly high on our list. And, um, you know, when you fall out of the playoffs and you got nothing else to race for, that's all you have to race for is, is trophies and, and getting wins for the rest of this year. And, and uh, it feels really good to be able to come here to Texas and, and score that win. You know, we haven't been the best on mile and a half this year, um, but we've been working on it and, and, and strategizing on things that we can do to, to improve. And it was nice to see uh, some some of that and that fruit pay off tonight. Awesome. Well, we're going to get right into questions for you. Um, let's kick things off here with Jordan Bianchi. Go ahead, Jordan. Uh, Kyle, where you know the satisfaction of winning? What what? How would you describe it compared to other wins in terms of the feeling? Um, really, it kind of felt like a, like a championship win, you know, when you're at Homestead and you're racing around on that final run and every little thing that can go wrong, you feel like it's going wrong or every little creak of the car, you think, oh, I got a flat tire when it's, everything's fine. Uh, today was, was one of those ways and, um, you know, we had to save fuel that entire last stage, you know, the, the beginning of the final stage, we were saving fuel there towards the end once, once Boyer had to pit and then, um, you know, the after the pit stop, the entirety after the, the final pit stop, I was saving fuel as well, too. 
so there was a lot on on my mind and, and things that we were trying to do and accomplish obviously with uh trying to stretch it and then um the other thing was just the <laughs> the amount of things that can go wrong will go wrong type stuff that goes in your mind and then we had a a rubber fire that was in the cockpit of the car and happened it was pretty much the whole final run you know if it was a 50 lap final run it was there for 40 laps i mean it was just um you know a rubber fire that would light on fire and pretty much smoke me out like <laughs> i don't know if i'm going to pass the co test but um we made it so all all doesn't matter now thank you all right we'll see our next question from Jeff Glock. go ahead Jeff. Kyle since it's still 2020 i was pretty sure you're going to run out of fuel on the last lap but so did I. Uh, yeah, you did it, and so you know, obviously you spoke about the relief. What what does this do mentally for you um, in these final weeks to wrap up the season? Um, I told Coy when I was on my way into victory lane, I said, I'm done. I'm good for the year. I'm retiring. Uh, I don't need to go next week or the week after. I'll just sit home. Um, but, no, I mean, it's, um, that, that's how much relief it felt like it was. It was just like, you know, now the – I mean, I wouldn't say that, Obviously, when you got knocked out of the, the – we got knocked out of the playoffs um, and going through this round of eight, um, typically there's there's pressure. You know, you, you have the pressure. Pressure builds through every round. And the round of 12, for me, was like the round of eight. I knew that we had to do everything right in order to make the round of eight being like our final four. Um, but we, we obviously weren't, uh, weren't good enough. We weren't able to capitalize and, and do what we needed to do. So – now that you're out, you pretty much have no pressure. You just go out there and you race, and whatever happens, happens. But when you're able to run up front and run with those guys, uh, you still got to push hard. You still got to do things right. You know, Skittles, M&Ms, Interstate Batteries, Toyota, all those guys, uh, they, they want to see us successful. They want to see us win. Um, and it means a lot to be able to, to continue that, that winning tradition with the 18 and uh, with Adam and all of our guys, everybody at Joe Gibbs Racing. They, uh, you know, they, they give full effort, man. I mean, there's there's – there's no quit, but it just hasn't quite uh, lined up for us this year. Thank you. All right, our next question will come from Mike Solarte. Go ahead, Mike. Thanks very much. Congratulations, Kyle. I know that the uh, the monkey has become a gorilla on your back there, the way you've been kind of approaching it. But now you have a little bit of momentum going into Martinsville, and I know you just said, yeah, you're done for the year, but that's not who you are. I mean, how do you how do you focus now? on such a quick turnaround because it's, it's like an NFL team playing Sunday and going to Thursday for you guys. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a quick turnaround, but, man, it's, it's way more stressful for the team guys than it is for the drivers. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I felt like through the middle part of the race, once we got everything sorted out from the start of the race there in, in the first Martinsville, we were pretty good. We ran we ran lap times comparable. We actually ran with the 19 for much of a, a couple runs. And I was just trying to stay out of his way because he was on the lead lap. So I felt like we, we were as good as he was. He obviously won the race. So I feel like there's a chance that, um, you know, given if we can make it through the first uh, um, first set of tires without going a lap down, then uh, we'll be okay. And I think we can have a shot to win there, too. We'll take our next question from Baxter Yellow. Go ahead, Baxter. Uh, there's been a lot made of the fact that there hasn't been practice this year, that that's been uh, that may have played a part in um, the struggles of this this season. You guys got 52 laps on Sunday. Um, did that? Do you feel like that did play a, a, a role in where you guys were able to um, figure out where the car was Sunday and, and had used that information for today's race? No, not really. Uh, yes, some sure. You know, the first run of the race, we were we were off. We were really loose and banging off. 
splitter. So we came in, we put Packer in the front end, and then uh, we spent on pit road. So we restarted in the back, and then we tried to make our way back up through, and uh, restarts were, were killing me. I just could not do restarts very well. I had a, a lot of tire chatter, just felt like the tires were cold. They wouldn't go and wouldn't fire for about eight laps. And then once like, we got all, everybody all single-filed out, and I got clean air on my car, and, and I could run the lines that I wanted to run and control the stuff that I could control, then we were able to drive up through the field and, and get ourselves back up towards the front. So um, it just took a little bit. But we were still on the splitter there uh, for the finish of the first stage as well, so we put more Packer in the left front um, to start the second stage, and that's that's when we rolled, man. We, we went right to the front, and uh, we were running second there, and then Truex, I think, ran out. And we were able to get by him on the green flag stop there before the end of the second stage and, and win that stage and lead the rest of the way. Okay. Uh, that's uh, all we can listen to now. What, what are your thoughts about uh, Kyle Busch's comments? Well, a couple of things stood out there. Uh, the fact that, that he said that this basically was their championship just to get a win now here at the end of the year. You know, uh, I, I know we talked about this when he made the comments of where he felt they were at and we compared it back to Tony Stewart. Uh, back in the day when he made similar comments and then went to win the championship, but they really haven't been on top of their game as they have been in years past. And he mentioned it later in the, uh, I'm not sure who asked the question, but the lack of practice that they had realized, I guess, if they will, how important that was to them. When when that announcement came following the COVID break that they weren't going to have practices we thought teams like Kyle Busch's team would be the ones to excel and be better prepared. And it turned out maybe not that their team in particular between him and Adam Stevens really maximized that practice time. And that's where they've really found their speed and connection. Cause it just hasn't been here this year. And he's aware of that. And I'm sure they're working on things to move forward. Uh, but for him to talk about how that one win was just such a relief and almost like a championship um, was kind of mm-hmm. humbling, if you will. And then talking about throughout the race, again, it being 2020 and the way they've run and the things they've had happen, you know, the things he said were going through his mind of run out of gas or hearing this noise, (laughs) you know, and all drivers hear that in every race. But again, especially in the position he was, his uh, win per year in this uh, entire career and just knowing the season they've had, I, I can't even imagine that as far as the things he was possibly thinking that were going to go wrong. Exactly, exactly. I thought it was a, a really good interview. Uh, there are a couple more things uh, a little bit later on I might bring up in uh, Hot Topics. But, yeah, I thought that that uh, uh, he was very humble about it, and, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that he finally got that win off of his back. And uh, I think he'll kind of enjoy these next two races a whole lot more. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the um, truck series. They're going to be racing at Martinsville this weekend. And uh, we haven't seen the truck series at Martinsville in a while, so this is going to be fun. The NASCAR Hall of Fame 200 on Friday, October the 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will have the pre-race coverage starting at 7 o'clock Eastern along with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 105.2 miles, over 200 laps. Uh, The first two stages are 50 laps each. Uh, So the stage two ends on lap 100. The final stage will end on the last lap, which is 100 laps. 
and that's lap 200. So uh, with that, uh, we've got a couple of notes here for the Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Well, I know this doesn't say warning, 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 but uh, if I were the rest of the field, I would take it as such as Sensation Sam Mayer <laughs> returns. The last of the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series saw Sam Mayer. He was celebrating in the Bristol Motor Speedway's victory lane after playing spoiler in the playoff race there at Thunder Valley and stealing a victory from the playoff contenders in just his fourth start in the series. Now, the 17-year-old from Flying Franklin, Wisconsin, returns to drive that number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet this weekend at Martinsville Speedway. He'll start from the 22nd position. Now, from the start of the race, though, there we got some great news. Bobby Labonte is named Grand Marshal. NASCAR Hall of Famer Bobby Labonte was named the Grand Marshal for the NASCAR Hall of Fame 200 NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series playoff race here at Martinsville Speedway on Friday. Labonte is a two-time NASCAR champion, winning the 2000 NASCAR Cup Series and the 1991 NASCAR Xfinity Series. He was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame with the class of 2020. Yes, indeed. So uh, two big uh, names there, Uh, an up-and-coming person and uh, one of our classic uh, veteran drivers, Bobby Labonte, all being part of... uh, the Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Now, let's take a look at some of the clinch scenarios because this is uh, an elimination race for all three series. So GMS Racing teammates Brett Moffat and Sheldon Creed have clinched their spots into the Final Four, while the other two spots are pretty much up for grabs. <laughs> so here's what we're going to look at. Now, there is, if there's a new winner, the following drivers can clinch by being ahead of the second winless driver in the standings. That's Austin Hill. He can clinch with 41 points. Zane Smith, Matt Crafton, Grant Dinfinger, and Ben Rhodes can only clinch with help. If there's a repeat winner, the following drivers could clinch by being ahead of the third winless driver in the standings. And they would also clinch if there was a new winner among Austin Hill or Zane Smith and being ahead of the second winless driver in the standings. Now, Austin Hill can clinch in that scenario with 28 points. Zane Smith would need 44 points. Matt Crafton, Grant Infinger, and Ben Rhodes, they can only clinch with some help, meaning they're going to have to go out there and see if they can get a win. Well, with that, and I, I like how that category is labeled of a uh, Martinsville mayhem. I think that's a good good word for what we're going to see. <laughs> Take a look at some stats for the Gander Truck Series playoff drivers. And you want to go two by two here? No, we got eight of them. Yeah, we'll do two by two. And this is stats All right, for I'll Martinsville. All right, and I will start with Tyler Ankrum. He's currently holding on to the eighth and final spot in the playoff standings. 79 points below the cut line, obviously in a must-win situation. Friday night will be his fourth start at Martinsville Speedway. He's got a best finish of 18th on the .526 mile track, from, and that's from his debut in 2018. He has an average start of 12.7, average finish of 20.7. Not looking good for a must-win situation, but again, we'll have to see how it plays out on the paperclip. Now, yeah. Ben Rhodes has been in the news. He's 45 points below 
the Gander Trucks Championship Four cut line, seventh place in the playoff standings, also in a must-win situation. Uh, Rhodes has made nine starts at Martinsville, posting two top fives, four top tens, led a total of 176 laps. He has an average start of 8.4, average finish of 11.8. He's also started on the pole twice, coming in 2016 and 18. Most recently, he finished 16th at the race in 2019. But he may have made some enemies, so he's got his work cut out for him. Yes, indeed. He's going to have a rough road to here. Okay, next up we have Grant Infinger's engine issue at Texas. Put him in a must-win situation at Martinsville. He's currently sixth in the standings. He's 42 points below the cut line, and he has seven starts at Martinsville with two top fives and three top tens. He has an average start there of 13.1 with an average finish of 11.1. His best finish of fourth came at this race last season, and he also finished fourth in 2018. So I know he's going to be trying to go after that victory to be in the playoffs. Matt Crafton is 12 points below the cut line in fifth place in the playoff standings. Now, Crafton has 36 starts at Martinsville, and that includes two wins, nine top fives, and 20 top tens. He has led 385 laps, and he has an average start of 11.4 with an average finish of 11.0. In his 36 starts, he has two DNFs. He's also completed 97.8% of the laps he's attempted at the track. His wins came in 2014 and 15, and his most recent uh, finish at Martinsville was a 23rd. Well, here's where Richard comes in. Zane Smith has uh, Matt Kraft and the veteran 12 points behind him. He's making his tra- series track debut at Martinsville on Friday night. Now, he's in the fourth and final spot in the championship four field, but only 12 points above the cut line, and that is a manageable number when it comes to advancing uh, versus one driver. Now, he's got no experience at the track, so he'll be likely chasing after all the points he can get. Austin Hill, he's sitting in third in the playoff standings, a little bit more breathing room as 27 points above the cut line. Hill has a total of nine starts at Martinsville with two top tens. His best finish of ninth came back in 2018, but he's got an average start of 17.1 and an average finish right there as well at 17.3. So he's still in a little bit of danger, but has just that little bit more breathing room than Zane Smith. Yes, indeed. Next up, we've got the top two drivers. Brett Moffitt is in the same position as his GMS teammate, Sheldon Creed. He already has a spot in the championship four, but he'd like to have a strong day at Martinsville before heading to Phoenix. He has five strikes to his name at the short track. He has three top fives with four top tens, and he's led 80 laps and has an average start of 9.2 with an average finish of 8.6. He has the best finish of second at Martinsville, and that was in 2018. Sheldon Creed is making his fourth start at Martinsville on Friday night, and although he punched his ticket to the championship four, he's going to also want to have a good points day. In his three starts, he has the best finish of 11. Came in that came in the race in, in this race, the playoff race in 2019, and he has an average start of 11.0. His average finish there is 15.7. So 
So a lot to look forward to here with these guys. I think um, with uh, there's a, there's just so much that can happen at Martinsville. It's uh, pretty much up for grabs. Oh, I think so, because I do think any of the four below the cut line could w- win the race, which would push Zane Smith out. Now, I talked about him being 12 points above the cut line. There's also only 15 points then between him and Tyler Ankrum. So if the winner comes from those bottom four in the playoffs, it could be a matter of Zane Smith versus Austin Hill then for that fourth and final transfer spot. So a lot of different scenarios that could play out for sure. Yes, indeed. Well, Chuck, kick us off here at Martinsville under the bright lights as the NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series put on quite a show this past weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Sheldon Creed won the race, clinched his spot into the championship four, joining again teammate GMS Racing teammate Brett Moffitt as those first two to lock themselves into the final round. Now that leaves the final two spots uh, in the playoffs, and the stakes couldn't be higher heading to Martinsville Speedway for this NASCAR Hall of Fame 200 on Friday night. And Creed's win didn't come without plenty of on-track action. Playoff driver Ben Rhodes and Christian Eckes had some on-track scuffs, and one on lap 146 put the race into NASCAR overtime. Rhodes had clipped the right rear quarter of Eckes' truck, sent him spinning, and Rhodes suffered damage from the incident and put himself in a must-win situation now on Friday if he wants a spot in that championship four. Overall, there were 10 cautions for the Gander trucks at Texas, and one of them was between veteran Johnny Sauter and Stuart Friesen as they were both fighting for the lead as winless drivers on the year. Now, playoff driver Grant Enfinger mentioned he suffered a day-ending engine issue, also now in the must-win situation at Martinsville, when he was originally only seven points below the cut line heading into Texas. Take a look at the other playoff drivers. Austin Hill, Zane Smith finished second and third. Rookie Raphael Rossard finished fourth. Brett Moffitt fifth, and veteran Matt Crafton came home sixth. Now, Crafton is still 12 points below the cut line heading into Martinsville. This weekend will be the first time that the series competes on the Virginia short track this season. Last season, Todd Gillen won this race for Kyle Busch Motorsports, and Kyle Busch himself won the first race of 2019 at the track. Crafton is the only playoff driver with a previous win at the track, and Sauter joins him as the only two active Gander Trucks drivers with wins at Martinsville. For all other drivers, they're still on the hunt for their first win on the .526-mile track. Friday evening's race, recap here will be 105.2 miles or 200 laps, stage one ending on lap 50, stage two ending on lap 100, and the final 100 laps to end the race. Creed will start from the pole. Zane Smith will join him on the front row. Hill, Moffitt, Crafton, Tyler Ankrum, Rhodes, Enfinger, Brandon Jones, and Lassard will complete the top 10. Okay. Uh, we've got a little bit of time here, so I thought maybe I would go back. Sheldon Creed won this race uh, last uh, weekend, and uh, we can listen to him. I don't think we'd listened to him before, did we? I've also got Austin Hill and Zane Smith, if you'd rather listen to them. 
Well, I, th- I think hearing, I don't know how long the clips are, but hearing from Zane Smith, a uh, rookie with his first start and being in the middle of a battle, 12 above the line and then 15 below uh, Austin Hill, I think that'd be kind of interesting. Okay, it's only three minutes and 49 seconds, so we can probably listen uh, to the whole segment. So let's go ahead and do that. Zane Smith and the number 21 Pit Boss Grill Chevrolet. This is after the race at Texas Motor Speedway. everyone. We are now joined by our third place finisher today, GeneCash.com 400 at Texas Motor Speedway, driver of the number 21 GNS Racing Chevrolet, Zane Smith. Zane, go ahead and walk us through your race, maybe the end of that race. Yeah, um, just I, I know Clean Air is king here, really everywhere, but um, I just fought a bad tire chatter all day. Um, we're just going to get the handle right on it, but Thanks, Zane. Congrats. 
have any additional questions for Zane. All right. Thank you, Zane. Good luck next week. Okay, that's it for Zane Smith and his audio. Uh, your thoughts about his comments, Jay? Well, the fact that, that, that he said uh, he's not even sure how he got through that race where he did, but I think he was just being a little bit modest. The the preparation they've put in and the way they have run this year, uh, I would have to agree he has maybe exceeded, maybe a little bit exceeded expectations. But he's another one that we saw as he developed and moved into the truck series. We saw as a very talented driver and GMS, the program they have put together, which is uh, defined there. And I know they they talked about whether or not they could have all four in the championship, two at least, possibly three uh, here in this final race. Yeah, GMS has had a really good year. And uh, it it is going to be fun to see how it all ends up after Martinsville and then, of course, for the championship this year. So uh, stay tuned. There's more coming. Uh, And I think it's the same thing. These guys are scrappy uh, every race weekend. So with so much on the line this weekend, I think it's going to be a lot of bumping and banging. And and as I said earlier, just some hurt feelings when all is said, said and done. Okay. Let's go ahead and get into the Xfinity Series. Uh, They're up next here, and they'll be racing at Martinsville. Uh, Their race is the Draft Top 250. They'll be racing on Saturday, October the 31st at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time with coverage on NBC and MRN Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 131.5 miles over 250 laps. Uh, The first two stages are 60 laps each. So stage one ends on 60, stage two on 120. And, of course, the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 250. So with that, uh, what's our notes here for the uh, Xfinity Series, Jay? Well, we don't have any actual additional notes, so we're going to start right with the Clint Scenarios paperclip style. Uh, again, I love that <laughs> reference to that track. But I uh, start there. Chase Briscoe already clinched a spot into the championship four round, that leaving three spots up for grabs. The clinch scenarios this weekend for the race at Martinsville. Any driver in that is still eligible uh, in the top eight, championship four uh, a win creates the championship four berth. Now, if there's a new winner, the following drivers uh, being ahead of the third winless drivers in the standings, Austin Sindrick would clinch with 46 points up. Algar needs 52 points. Justin Haley, Brandon Jones, Ross Chastain, Noah Gregson, and Ryan Sieg, they all need a little bit of help. If there's a a repeat winner and the driver being ahead of the fourth winless driver based on points, then they would clinch if there's a new winner among Austin Sindrick, Justin Algar, or Justin Haley and being ahead of the third winless driver. For that, Austin Sindrick only needs the 42 points, Algar 48. Now, Justin Haley comes into play here with 52 points. The others, again, Brandon Jones, Ross Chastain, Noah Gregson, Ryan Sieg can only do so with, and I'm going to add the word, a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, Saturday we know it's all about short track racing, the final race of the round of eight. 
is this Saturday at Martinsville, a track that none of the drivers in the field have ever raced on. And everything is on the line for the seven playoff drivers that haven't clinched their spot in the championship four. Uh, okay, so since we don't have any stats to look at for Martinsville, specifically, let's look at the short track results from 2020. North Rakeson took home the first short track win at Bristol Motor Speedway. That was back in June. And it wasn't until September that the series raced on another short track, Richmond Raceway, and that was a double header. Now, Justin Algar swept the weekend at Richmond in winning both of those races. And this week after the series went back to Bristol Motor Speedway, the week after the series went back to Bristol Motor Speedway, and Chase Briscoe was victorious there. So uh, looking overall, Chase Briscoe has uh, the nine wins on the season, uh, and he's got uh, behind him Austin Sendrick with five wins, Justin Altauer with three wins, and Justin Haley with three wins. Also with three wins, but below the cut line is Brandon Jones. Then you've got the Ross Chastain with no wins this year, Noah Gregson with two wins, and Ryan Sieg with no wins this year. So uh, those drivers below that cut line, as uh, we were just talked about with clinch scenarios, uh, they're going to be racing hard to get above that, that cut line to be a part of the Final Four uh, at uh, Phoenix. So, uh, again, it's going to be some very intense racing. And, and this one, we talked about that. Of all the series at Martinsville, the track it is, the the intensity of it, it being the playoff cutoff race and your final shot at it. Add in here in the Xfinity series that these drivers haven't raced on this track, and that just amplifies <laughs> it even that much more. And, and I will say this, uh, with the exception on, of, unfortunately, Ryan Sieg at minus 43, I do believe he is purely in a must-win situation. But Noah Gregson at minus 24, Ross Chastain minus 15, Brandon Jones at minus 4. When I said they need a lot of help when it comes to the clinch scenario, keeping in mind Martinsville being what it is, the possibility of wrecks and damage and finishing back in the field is actually very, very high. So that really doesn't, I want to say, put them in a must-win, especially given the style of racing and, and things that can happen at Martinsville. So, I uh, wouldn't give up hope on any of them. Obviously, they know that the best way to uh, and guarantee that is to win. And the fact of, as you read through some of the short track, I know Bristol and, and Richmond a little bit different as far as bank, but short tracks all do relate to a degree. And you mentioned three, four different drivers there that have had victories at the short tracks throughout the year. So uh, that could certainly come into play. I, I think we're in for a really tr- interesting Xfinity Series race this weekend. I do believe so. Now, this will set the, the NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship for. And as we mentioned here, too, the other interesting thing, only one driver so far locked into the championship for, for the Xfinity yeah. Series. Uh, but this will close out the round of eight on the draft top draft top 250 last weekend with the series uh at texas motor speedway where the racing was already intense and excitement was second to none there playoff driver noah gregson who is now in a must-win situation if he wants to compete for the championship at phoenix raceway 
looked like he was going to go, take home that trophy and the cowboy hat as well as that championship berth. However, Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender and now three-time winner, but not in the playoffs anymore, Harrison Burton passed him on the final corner to steal that victory. Burton had recovered from a spin that brought out the sixth caution of the day and then went on to pass Anthony Alfredo for the second position with only two laps to go. Saturday's race at Texas was a tough one for uh, current playoff drivers. Austin Sindrick was able to finish fourth, and Justin Haley finished seventh. The five remaining postseason challengers finished the top 15, outside the top 15. Ross Chastain was 16th. Chase Briscoe finished 24th, although he's guaranteed and locked in. Brandon Jones was 25th. Justin Augar, 26th. And again, unfortunately, Ryan Sieg, the worst of it, finished 31st. Now, with his win two weeks ago, again, Briscoe, the only driver st- uh, locked into the championship for, meaning that this weekend's race at Martinsville will be the final chance for the other playoff, seven playoff drivers to clinch their position with that win. As I mentioned, the, the draft top 250 also bring a new sense of excitement as the NASCAR Xfinity Series hasn't raced at this short track since 2006. I saw this on Twitter, actually. Uh, remember this. Kevin Harvick won the race from the sixth position. Uh, there have been a total of 34 Xfinity Series races at Martinsville Speedway, the inaugural race being back in 1982, won by legendary Sam Ard. So Martinsville Speedway, a new territory for all the drivers in the field in the series, is bound to put on a very good show. Now, Sindrick will lead the field to green on Saturday, and Gregson joining him on the front row. Haley will start third, Chastain fourth. Briscoe and Algar will start fifth and sixth. The race will be 131.5 miles, or 250 laps. Stage one ending on lap 60. Uh, next stage two on lap 120, and then the final 130 laps to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, the post-race audio I have here is actually, actually it's pre-race audio, and it's uh, from Xfinity Series playoff driver Austin Sendrick uh, from the number 22 Team Kensky Ford. So we'll listen to what he has to say heading into Martinsville Speedway this weekend, and of course, he's one of those drivers uh, that did not, has not driven on uh, Martinsville before, so it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. Well, we appreciate Austin Sindrick. I know this is kind of short notice uh, joining us here today, and for those of you who have been able to, to join us here on Zoom, uh, appreciate your time while we wait out the rain uh, in Texas for the cup race. Uh, this is going to be audio only, so just let, letting everyone aware that uh, we won't have video capability today with Austin, but uh, his voice is um, good enough for today. Right, Austin? So if you've got a question, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, we'll have Austin for as long as uh, we need here to kind of go through some things. Uh, and Austin, let me just start. I mean, obviously the end to that race the other day, uh, in one corner you went from, you know, being down to kind of being up. Uh, just and you even said you didn't know what emotion to have. What emotion did you end up on? Yeah, I think as a team, we're fairly satisfied with the way things worked out at, at Texas. Um, obviously, probably the underlying factor of that being Harrison winning the race honestly saved a lot of points for us and really has us 
second in points, 14 points about the cut, which is which is um, more than more than six times what we had before. So um, from from an overall perspective, we, we we scored the second most points in the race, and um, on paper it was a good day. But um, in in the seat of the race car, and probably on our team radio, it probably wasn't the greatest day. Um, we started out way too free to begin the race, had to waste a set of tires, and um, slowly got our Menard Bush and the Ford Mustang to where we were um, quick enough to contend for the win, or at least be in the top three there. Um, and the seven and ten uh, raced each other, uh, kind of gifted us the lead there. And um, I was on a set of tires that already had cords on them, <laughs> and against new tires. And um, uh, I think it's 50 50 whether or not I picked the bottom or the top on the restart. Um, obviously, if I pick the bottom, I have a much better chance in three and four. Um, but I also didn't want to be vulnerable uh, on the bottom of one and two there. Through watching it, probably didn't have, a, have much of a better option there. Three and four, uh, didn't six. DJ one wasn't as activated. There was speedy drive on the racetrack, and I almost wrecked the car and ended up pushing a fourth. So, just like you said, a, a wild range of emotions for, for a playoff race. Um, really good uh, heads up by, by my team, um, Coleman on the roof, and, and and everyone keep the cool heads all day, and, and, and obviously that uh, pay dividends. Um, but with that being said, now we go to Martinsville, which um, is probably the biggest unknown on the schedule, and I guess we're in a better position than anyone else other than 98, which isn't saying much given the, the, the margin of points between everybody. All right, if you've got a question for Austin, please raise your hand or send me a note in the chat box, um, and we'll go with uh, Let's start with uh, Holly King. Go ahead, Holly, how are you? Holly King, can you hear me? Yeah. Hear me? Yes, now I can hear you. Go ahead. Sorry about that. Okay. Uh, Austin, I just wondered if you could speak a little bit about the, the challenge that's going to be racing at a track and, and these cars that none of you guys have. A lot of people have, have raced in front there, but certainly not in these cars above the wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like it's definitely going to be a challenge. It's going to be that I have to focus for me and my team to, to come there as prepared as we can be. Obviously, our, our cup cars have been able to run well there in the past, and um, although those cars really don't have as many similarities as you'd like, especially at a racetrack like that, um, hoping hoping to use some of those notes to to, to get us uh, at least uh, with a better starting point than the rest. I, I think. But the mentality is that you want to leave adjustability in your race car, and um, you want to be as close to the market uh, or closer than everybody else will be. There'll be points in the race where I'm not going to be happy with my car, and uh, we're going to have to work on it. I think that's everyone's reality. Um, but uh, what I understand, we're probably going to be starting on the pole, if not the front row. So uh, I haven't been there in three years, so it'll be the blind leading the blind, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully track position can, can mean something there, at least as far as getting stage points for us. I, I think that's probably the most critical part of our race to, to get out of the way to where we can just have a solid finish. And, uh, and that's all to uh, what would be the most important goal of the year, which is to make the final four. Do you expect the race itself to be how much more unpredictable, I guess, in that this, you know, is going to be the first time in the cars for a lot of these people racing this weekend, a lot of you? Yeah. Uh, um, I think of it two ways. Um, you know, we've seen in the XA series this year, even guys that you don't expect to run up front, even on some of these short tracks, because our, our cars, um, they, they don't have a lot of downforce. You know, we, we struggle to put down the power. Um, so I, I'd expect it to almost be like in the trucks where you've got guys that 
man or the race that you don't expect to be running up front, they're running up front, you know, whether that's in the top ten or the top five. So I feel like from a fan perspective, I feel like there's a great possibility of that. Um, on the flip side, uh, I think from a racing standpoint, everyone's going to be learning what's possible and what's not. You know, obviously the durable nature of an Xfinity car, um, I think is going to give a lot of people some second chances in that race. So unless you hit really hard, you're not out. Um, so uh, I think there's going to be plenty of playoff drivers that are going to have to never give up all race, um, just with how aggressive the, the style of racing is at Martinsville. Um, but uh, as of late in the Xfinity Series, <laughs> so uh, I think uh, hopefully staying out of trouble and hopefully uh, staying in front of the mess is, is my number one goal. But if not, uh, picking and choosing the right battles, I think it's going to be very important. Thank you, Holly. Let's go on to Bob Pockrex. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, Austin, are you going to want to know more about the point situation or who is about to wreck who at uh, Martinsville? I think yes to both. Honestly, we, we had our debrief on Monday, and um, with as many uh, tempers flaring up at Texas as we had, um, I mean, it's it's great to know who's who's pissed off at who. Because um, if you're in the middle uh, of the of, of sandwich of guys who don't like each other, um, it, it's, it's always good to know that. So having, having the right people standing, uh, I think it's going to be important, having the right people standing and knowing what other people are struggling with. Um, especially for a race where there's going to be so many discrepancies as far as um, who's struggling with what and how, how close your car is. I, I think those are things that are going to be important. Um, but as always, yeah, knowing the points, obviously I know who I'm racing, um, know, know who, uh, who, I need to, who I need to get points over, and, and, and obviously getting ourselves in a position to where um, we, can, we can get safe points and then we can get the final stage and just have a solid race. I, that'd be an ideal scenario. Obviously, we want to win the race. Um, but uh, knowing those two things, I, I think, will be just as important, if not more important, than most weekends. Okay, Jay, your thoughts about Austin's comments? I don't know if we have enough time left there. Wow. Uh, <laughs> overall, they fall under one category, how realistic he is and aware of everything he is. Yeah. Start with the, the Texas Amazing. race. They're aware, you know, his awareness of they didn't have the best day, even though finishing fourth where they are in points and haven't been exactly at the same level here in the playoffs. Appreciating the fact that Harrison Burton won that race and saved him a a spot there. The fact that (laughs) Noah Gregson didn't lock himself in. Then when we talked about Martinsville, although not being on the track, he talked about the things that they're going to need and the plan that they have. He has obviously done some very in-depth research on that, on what to expect. And the question got asked about knowing where the other drivers he's racing in points. He actually answered it from a whole different perspective from the get-go of knowing which drivers were upset at each other from Texas and where they were at in points against each other um, and not being caught in the middle of that. I mean, the amount of things there that he talked about that, that are already on his mind and he is aware of is just so impressive. And, you know, especially in this position, again, he is only 14 points up. Uh, in the in the uh, championship uh, cut line, but to be aware of all those things and knowing where he's at, where the team's at, and then again of all the other possibilities. The one good thing I do look at, it seems to be when it comes to Martinsville, good road course racers tend to do better at Martinsville. We've seen that in the past, and Austin Sindrick has proved he's one of the better road course racers. Yes, 
So it's going to be interesting to see what he does this weekend at Martinsville. Again, that race is on Saturday. And uh, these are all going to be really, really, really good races, I think. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the Cup Series because, uh, uh, like we said, this is going to be a quick turnaround for them. They're going to go right from Texas into Martinsville for the Xfinity One. I'm sorry, the Xfinity 500 on Sunday, November the 1st. That race should start around 2 p.m. Eastern Time with uh, pre-race coverage at 1.30 on NBC, as well as MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race a distance of 263 miles over 500 laps. Stages are 130 laps each, with the last stage ending on the last lap, which is lap 500. So, uh, again, these guys, I feel a little bit for them, although they got some rest, I guess, at Texas, it's a good thing they were resting up because uh, this one's going to be a barn burner, I think. Well, and Kyle Bush talked about that as far as, and, and that was another one to throw that out to Kyle. He appreciated the fact that he said it is going to be harder on the crews and the shop guys than it is on the driver themselves. Um, but we'll take a look. i got a couple of notes here on the cup side, both hot topics, if you will. One of we already talked about. Rudy Fiegel yeah, you can do one and I'll do the other. Yeah, okay. you do Rudy uh, and I'll do the other one. All right. Rudy, Rudy Fugel is named crew chief to the number 24 team in 2021. Hendrick Motorsports has named Rudy Fugel as the crew chief for William Byron and the number 24 Chevrolet Camaro ZL1LE team for the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series season. Uh, he will join the organization in mid-November. The 36-year-old Fugel is one of the most successful crew chiefs at NASCAR's National Series level. He'll replace the current number 24 crew chief, Chad Knauss, who was recently named Hendrick Motorsports Vice President of Competition, which will be effective at the completion of the 2020 racing season. Like I said, that one kind of came out earlier in the week, and I know we talked about it as a hot topic already. Yes, indeed, and then I'm sure we'll be talking about this one, too. Uh, Kyle Larson is capped by Hendrick Motorsports in 2021. We've anticipated that, but now it's official. Uh, this week, Hendrick Motorsports signed driver Kyle Larson to a multi-year contract that will see him join the 12-time Cup Series champion beginning in the 2021 racing season. He's going to pilot the number five Chevrolet ZL11LE, which the organization will field for the first time since 2017. Now, Larson is paired with crew chief Cliff Daniels, who's 32, and right now he leads the number 48 Hendrick Motorsports team with seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson. Now, I did see a graphic earlier, and my understanding is that uh, Larson is going to be in what is now the 48 team, but rebranded under the number five uh, uh, number. And then, uh, um, uh, let me rephrase yeah. that. Yeah. No, I think, you were, that was I think correct. That was correct? Okay. And then... Alex Bowman, who's currently in the 88, that 88 car is going to be rebranded under the number 48 uh, team. So he's basically bringing his 88 team with him 
uh, and his car number is just going to change to 48. So really nothing changes for him except for the car number. Uh, and then, like I say, um, uh, the number five team is going to be that uh, 48 team uh, is going to be rebranded under the number five. So uh, Kyle Larson is going to bring his own team uh, with him, uh, with uh, Cliff Daniels being the crew chief there uh, for that 48 Hendrick Motorsports organization. He will now be the crew chief for the number five. So that pretty much that team is going to go to Kyle Larson. So uh, interesting scenarios there. What's more interesting, and I might have to put this up on Twitter and explain the situation. If you had a bet that Kyle Larson was going to the number 48, but it's really the the number five, but is the 88 <laughs> team do you, or the 48 team, do you still win that bet? But that's a different topic, and I know we got some hot <laughs> topics uh, that'll come with that. We'll get to here in about 20 oh, yeah. minutes. First off, we're going to look at though the playoffs Elite Eight here, the Cup level at the Martinsville uh, Paperclip. That's, that sets the stage for seven drivers hunting the final three spots in the NASCAR Cup Series Playoff Championship round of four. Team Penske's Joey Logano, the only driver to have currently locked into the championship four by virtue of his victory back two weeks ago at Kansas. So we'll take a look at the Elite Eight here, and I'll start at the bottom with the bottom two. Uh, Kurt Busch, driver of the number one Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet, Finds himself in the eighth and final position in the round of eight. 81 points behind the championship for cutoff. That is clearly, mathematically, a must-win situation heading into this weekend at Martinsville. Now, Bush has made 40 starts at the Martinsville, at Martinsville, posting two wins coming back in the 2006 playoffs and the 2017 playoffs. Three top fives and eight top tens finished ninth at Martinsville earlier this season. Next one up, we got Martin Truex Jr., number 19, Joe uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He finished second at Texas Motor Speedway on Wednesday, but still finds himself 36 points behind that championship four cutoff. Truex is optimistic about this weekend as Martinsville, though, as he well should be. The New Jersey native has made 29 starts at the Virginia Half Mile, winning the last two consecutive races, putting up a total of seven top fives and 13 top tens. Okay, next up we have Chase Elliott in the number nine Chevrolet. Right now he's tied with his uh, Hendrick Motorsports teammate, Alex Bowman, in points and sixth in the uh, standings. He's 25 points behind the championship for cutoff. Now, Elliot looks to Martinsville in order to catapult himself uh, if he's going to make that final round. He's made 10 season starts at Martinsville. He has um, posted three top fives and five top tens, and he finished fifth at Martinsville uh, during this event in June of this year. Alex Bowman in the number 88 Hendrick Motorsports uh, Chevrolet hangs on to the fifth spot in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Again, he's 25 points back along with his teammate uh, from Team Penske's Brad Keselowski, who sits in the final transfer spot. Now, Bowman has made nine series starts at Martinsville. He's posted two top ten finishes there, including 
his career best finish of sixth that he posted earlier this year at the 0.526-mile track. Team Penske forward Brad Keselowski, he's clinging to the fourth and final transfer spot into the championship four-round by a mere 25 points over the pair of Hendrick Motorsports drivers uh, that are first outside the cutoff line. Keselowski will start from the pole this weekend at Martinsville, a speedway where track position is very key. Keselowski has made 21 starts at the Martins at Martinsville, collecting two wins, coming in the spring of 17 as well as earlier. Uh, I'm sorry, in the spring of 17 and 19, uh, has a total of 10 top fives and 15 top tens. Key point here: he finished third in the Martinsville race earlier this season. And we got Denny Hamlin, driver that. Number 11, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He's grasping to a 27-point lead over the NASCAR Cup Series playoff championship four-round cutoff. Hamlin's resume at Martinsville is the most promising among the eight remaining playoff drivers. The Virginia native has made 29 series starts at the paperclip, posting four poles, five wins, 28 spring race, 2009 playoffs. 2010 did a sweep on the year, and then the 2015 spring race. He's got a total of 15 top fives and 21 top tens. Unfortunately, his finish of 24th at Martinsville earlier this season doesn't look good heading into this one. Okay, next we'll look at the top two drivers, starting with Kevin Harvick in the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford. Now, he right now has a 42-point edge, on the NASCAR Cup Series Playoff Championship Four Round Championship Four Round Cutoff, uh, the Californian Harvick heads to Martinsville this weekend, having made 38 starts at the track and posting one win in 2011. He has five top fives and 19 top tens. He finished 15th at Martinsville back in June. Joy Logano and the number 22 Team Penske Ford. Is, look, is right now locked into the championship four uh, thanks to his win at Kansas to open uh, the round of eight playoff. Looking into Martinsville, looking towards Martinsville, though, Logano has made 23 starts, putting up five poles. He has one win in the 2018 playoff race, seven top fives and the 11 top tens. He finished fourth at Martinsville earlier this season. So uh, uh, these drivers are going to be uh, a lot lot to watch this weekend. Okay, now fighting for a spot. The previous drivers that raced their way into the championship four. um, See, why don't we uh, start? We'll go bottom. We'll go top down on this one, and every other one, Jay. All right. Okay, in 2014, heading to Phoenix Raceway, the ninth race of the playoffs, uh, Kevin Harvick was ranked eighth in the standings, six points back from NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon in the fourth and final transfer spot to the championship four round. Now, Harvick won the race at Phoenix and automatically advanced to the final round. Jeff Gordon finished runner-up, but it wasn't enough, and he was bounced out of the playoffs. Harvick would go on to win his first NASCAR Cup Series title then in 2014. 
Moving up to 2015, the four drivers below the championship four round cut line heading into that ninth race of the 2015 NASCAR Cup Series Series playoffs round of eight elimination was still at Phoenix Raceway at that time. You had Carl Edwards, that was minus seven from the cutoff, Brad Keselowski, minus 19, Kurt Busch, minus 28, and Joey Logano at minus 63. All failed to advance to the championship four and were eliminated from the playoffs following the Phoenix race. At Phoenix, Logano finished third, Kurt Busch seventh, Keselowski ninth, while Carl Edwards came home 12th. Interesting. Now we'll move on to 2016. The four drivers below the championship four round cut line uh, without a win heading into the ninth race of the 2016 Cup Series playoffs round of eight, the elimination race at Phoenix. Now Matt Kenseth was one point off the cutoff, Denny Hamlin two, Kevin Harvick 18 points down, and Kurt Busch 34 points all failed to advance to the championship four and were eliminated from the playoffs following the Phoenix race. At Phoenix, Harvick finished fourth, Kurt Busch finished fifth, Hamlin finished seventh, and Matt Kenseth finished in 21st place. All right, 2017, the four drivers below the cut line uh, into the ninth race there. Again, was still at Phoenix Raceway. Denny Hamlin was minus 19, Ryan Blaney, minus 22, Chase Elliott, minus 49, and Jimmy Johnson at minus 51. Unfortunately, the theme is the same. All four uh, failed to advance to the championship floor and eliminated from the playoffs. At Phoenix, Elliott was second, was that close to making it, but came up short. Blaney, 17th, Hamlin, 35th, and Johnson, 39th. In 2018, the four drivers uh, below the cut line headed into Phoenix Raceway were Kurt Busch at negative three, Chase Elliott negative 17, Eric Amarola minus 35, and Clint Boyer minus 51. Again, all failed to advance to the championship four and were eliminated uh, following the Phoenix race. At Phoenix, Amarola finished fourth, Elliott finished 23rd, Kurt Busch finished 32nd, and Clint Boyer finished in 35th place. All right. Well, last year, uh, 2019, this was only the second time it's been done, heading into the Phoenix Raceway, the ninth race of the playoffs. Denny Hamlin was ranked fifth in the playoff standings, 20 points back from Joey Logano in the fourth and final transfer position to the championship four. Hamlin won the race at Phoenix and automatically advanced himself to the final round. That left Joey Logano, who finished ninth, with not enough points and tossed out of the playoffs. Hamlin would go on to finish the season in the fourth spot in the championship standings. So, what, 14 and 19 kind of bookending the, the format, this format uh, where it's had a driver advance in this final cutoff race. Exactly. Okay, now let's look at the clinch scenarios, Jay. All right. Uh, let's see. With just three spots remaining in the season's NASCAR camp championship four, uh, this weekend's Xfinity 500 at Martinsville Speedway, the last chance for seven drivers not locked in to vie for those spots. Did you battle for the chance at the 2021 Bill France Cup? 
next weekend with Phoenix now being the final race. No team Penske's Joey Logano, the only driver in the round of eight that has locked himself into the championship four. So on clinch scenarios, uh, winner, you obviously advance. But if there's a new winner, the drivers that could clinch by being ahead of the third winless driver in the standings, Kevin Harvick needs only 37 points. Denny Hamlin needs 53. Brad Keselowski would need 55. Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, and Martin Truex can only do so with help. If there's a repeat winner, the following drivers could be ahead of the fourth winless driver in the standings, and they would also clinch if there's a new winner among Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, or Brad Keselowski, and then being ahead of the third winless driver. For Kevin Harvick, that's a mere 14 points, which is almost a lock. Danny Hamlin needs 29 points. Brad Keselowski would need 31. And that leaves Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, and Martin Truex, the ones needing help. And again, any one of the drivers still remaining can clinch with a win on their own. All right. Next, we'll move on to... um... This is a very long piece here. Uh, we may have to break this up, Jay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs have come down to this Sunday. Uh, it's the playoff round of eight, the elimination race at Martinsville Speedway. Now, the 2020 season marks the first time Martinsville Speedway has hosted the penultimate race, race number nine, in the Cup Series playoffs. Since the inception of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs in 2004, Martinsville Speedway has occupied three different positions on the post-race, post-season schedule. From 2004 to 10, seven seasons, Martinsville hosted the sixth race in the playoffs. And from 2011 to 19, nine seasons, was the seventh race of the playoffs. Martinsville Speedway is the third different track to host the ninth race of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, joining Darlington Raceway in 2004 and Phoenix Raceway from 2005 to 2019. Okay. The winners there? Yeah. All right. The Martinsville playoff race winners, starting from 2019 going backwards, uh, Martin Truex Jr. in 2019, Joey Logano in 2018, 2017 it was Kyle Busch, 2016 Jimmy Johnson, back in 15 it was Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. did it in 2014, then we got some Hendrick Motorsports, 2013 was Jeff Gordon, 2012 Jimmy Johnson, went back 2011 it was Tony Stewart, Denny Hamlin did it in 2010 and 9. And then we had a streak here, 2008, 2007, 2006. It was Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson also did it in 2004. In between there, 2005, that was Jeff Gordon. So a total of eight different drivers have won a NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Martinsville Speedway, led by Jimmy Johnson with six victories on the .526-mile track. Now, six times the winner of the Martinsville Speedway playoff race has gone on to win the title later in that same season, which is the most of any track on the playoff schedule. In 2006, Jimmy Johnson won from the ninth spot 
ninth starting spot at Martinsville Speedway, went on to win his first of seven NASCAR Cup Series championships. It was only his win during the 2016 playoffs. It was his only win during the 20, uh, 2006 playoffs. Sorry. In 2007, Johnson won from the fourth starting position at Martinsville, went on to win his second consecutive NASCAR Cup Series championship. Uh, then the playoff victory was the first of a record-setting four-street postseason wins during that 2007 playoffs. He won at Martinsville, Atlanta, Texas, and Phoenix. In 2008, still Jimmy Johnson won from the starting position at Martinsville, where qualifying was canceled, but then went on to win his third consecutive NASCAR Cup Series championship. Win was his second of three victories during this 2008 playoffs. Jumping up to 2011, it was Tony Stewart, won from the fourth starting spot at Martinsville, went on to win his third Cup Series championship. That win was one of a record-setting five playoff victories for Stewart during that 2011 postseason. And in 2016, it was back to Jimmy Johnson. He won from the third starting spot, went on to win his record-tying seventh NASCAR Cup Series championship. The win that year was his second of three playoff victories during the 2016 season. In 2018, it was Joey Logano's turn as he won from the 10th starting position and went on to win his first NASCAR Cup Series championship. That win was the first of two playoff victories during his 2018 championship run. Now, Team Penske's Logano, again, the only current driver to be locked into the 2021, that should be 2020, Cup Series championship uh, for due to his Kansas Speedway to open the round of eight. Uh, the worst okay. finish of a playoff. Uh, oh, Go I got two more here. Uh, okay. The worst finish in a playoff race at Martinsville Speedway by a driver that went on to win the title later in the same year is held by Kevin Harvick, finished 33rd, and that was in 2014. And just like Joe Gibbs Racing said, Kyle Busch stole the show at Texas Motor Speedway on Wednesday. Twice has a non-playoff driver won the playoff race at Martinsville Speedway. In 05, Jeff Gordon ranked 15th in the points at the time of his win at Martinsville. And in 2014, that was where Dale Earnhardt Jr. was 11th in the points at the time of his win. Now, Jr. had made the playoffs in 2014, but was eliminated in the round of 12. Okay. Now, the playoff uh, race nine uh, winners at Phoenix. Uh, in 2019, it was Denny Hamlin. 18, it was Kyle Busch. 17, Matt Kenseth. 16, Joey Logano. And 15, it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. 14 and 13 and 12, it was Kevin Harvick. Uh, in 2011, it was Casey Kane. Uh, 2010, it was Carl Edwards. 2009, 8, and 7, it was Jimmy Johnson. In 2006, Kevin Harvick. And in 2005, it was Kyle Busch. And in 2004, it was uh, actually Jimmy Johnson at Darlington. So with that in mind, uh, there have been different drivers who've won the penultimate nine race ninth race in the Cup Series playoffs, led by Jimmy Johnson, who did it four times, 2004, 7, 8, and 9. Kevin Harvick did it four times in 2006, 12, 13, and 14, 
with four playoff victories each. Now, four times the winner of the ninth race in the playoffs has gone on to win the title that same season. In 2007, Jimmy Johnson won from the sixth starting spot at Phoenix and then went on to win his second consecutive Cup Series championship. The playoff victory was the fourth of a record-setting four straight postseason wins during the 2007 playoffs, Martinsville, Atlanta, Texas, and Phoenix. In 2008, Jimmy Johnson won from the pole at Phoenix Raceway and then went on to win his third consecutive Cup Series championship. The win was the third of three victories during the 2008 playoffs. In 2009, Jimmy Johnson won from the third starting spot at Phoenix Raceway and then went on to his fourth consecutive Cup Series championship. The victory was his fourth during the 2009 postseason. Then in 2014, Kevin Harvick won from the third starting position at Phoenix and went on to win his first Cup Series championship. The win was his second of three playoff victories during that 2014 postseason. The worst finish in the ninth race of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs by a driver that went on to win the title that same season at Phoenix was a 38 by Jimmy Johnson in 2016, and that was at Darlington. And then at Darlington in 2004, it was sixth Bush. Okay, four non-playoff drivers have won the ninth playoff race in the Cup Series postseason. In 2005, Kyle Busch was ranked 19th in points. Well, let's go ahead and skip this part because actually I just noticed that we are past the top of the hour, which means it's time for us to get into our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Up. Unfortunately, Andy will not be able to join us tonight, uh, but we do have joining us for Hot Topics tonight, Mike Orzel. So welcome to the show, Mike. Hello. <laughs> okay. What's up, Mike? Uh, <clears throat> let's go ahead and let Mike uh, kick us off with the first hot topic for tonight. All right. Um, obviously, it's only been two days since the last show, so there wasn't a whole lot going on, but there was one really, really, really big story. Um, we did finally find out uh, that Kyle Larson has joined Hendrick Motorsports. Um, He will be driving the car that is currently owned by the four-time NASCAR Cup Series driving champion and seven-time NASCAR owner's champion, Jeff Gordon. Um, The car will be renumbered to the number five and will maintain most of the hardware and team from the current 48 car. Um, But that car will be renumbered to the number five for Kyle Larson driving under the Hendrick Motorsports banner next year. Okay. So, Jay, what do you have to say? I still think I won the bet. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Essentially, I don't know if this is a hot topic. I think it's kind of a lukewarm topic at this point. We have talked about it for how many uh, months, I'd say. It was highly anticipated. That's where all the the smoke was coming from. The fire's been put out now. It's official. And I like to see it. Uh, I hope that Kyle does do well there. I I still have questions uh, on... And I didn't get a chance to watch uh, his interview. I know he did talk about with what his outside racing activities would be allowed. I know he has um, opted to not run his own sprint car team. Uh, he is uh, selling or shutting down his uh, 
World Outlaw Sprint Car team going into next season. I saw that uh, prior to uh, this announcement, which kind of led me to believe, again, there is some restriction by Hendrick, how limited it is. We'll have to wait and see. And I I said I didn't get a chance to watch his interview because I do think he did address that some, that it's part of the negotiation anyway. But I I think he's going to be a good fit to Hendrick Motorsports. It is one that I think the, the atmosphere there is maybe a little different than where he has worked before. And it could really help him as a driver as well. And I think back to when Dale Earnhardt Jr. first came over to Hendrick Motorsports. He was kind of a hands-off type driver. He showed up, drove the car, and went home. And Jr. self-admittedly said that he had to change that, that the atmosphere at Hendrick was a little different there. And that's one I know, having interviewed Kyle Larson before personally, he talks about that. I think we might see a change in in that where we see Kyle Larson become more of a technical and mechanical type driver and be more aware of the car setups, and that can only help a driver. So I think this is going to be a real good thing for both Kyle Larson, hopefully uh, resets his career and he can put the past here behind him, as well as Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, Again, whether they're a championship contender next year don't know, but it is a multi-year contract. I think we will see that team battling for a championship down the road. Yeah, I think this is a good move. Uh, it's finally official. We've talked about it, like you said, several times leading up to this. Uh, Kyle Larson now becomes the oldest driver at Hendrick Motorsports, so this gives him a good chance uh, to come in there as a mentor uh, not that these guys necessarily need a mentor, but he can take a leadership role within that organization. And, uh, you know, this is this is a good opportunity. I heard the same thing that you did, that he's, he's selling the sprint car team. Uh, as we all know, Hendrick Motorsports does not like the extracurricular activity outside of, uh, you know, what they're doing with NASCAR because he doesn't want to take the chance of them are getting hurt and affecting their NASCAR Cup career. So uh, I, I think that that's interesting that he's selling the team uh, and that uh, uh, I think he's going to be focusing on the NASCAR Cup series side of it. Uh, the other part of this as well is I did see a tweet, Hendrick Motorsports uh, owner, Rick Hendrick, uh, commenting about the fact that uh, he knows very well that finding sponsorship for Kyle Larson is probably going to be the hardest part of this whole deal. Uh, but he said he's prepared and ready to go after it and do the very best that he can do to try to get that sponsorship for Kyle Larson. But he uh, he's going into it knowing that this is not going to be an easy task. Um, I think the more Kyle Larson exposes himself, if you will, to – uh, what he's done as part of his um, uh, sensitivity training, I think the more uh, that will open up for him as far as sponsorship uh, for that number uh, five team that he'll be driving in for next season. So all in all, I think it's really good. Uh, it comes with a bit of challenge, but uh, I think it's not insurmountable and that uh, we're going to see good things here. So, Mike, curious to know your thoughts. 
So some follow-up information. Uh, I, did, I didn't see the whole thing, but I did see parts of the interviews, both with Mr. Hendrick and with uh, Kyle. Um, you're correct. Kyle is shutting down his personally owned uh, race team. However, he will be allowed to participate in uh, extracurricular, for lack of a better way to describe it, racing events, probably dirt racing, um, as so long as they don't interfere with his duties at Hendrick Motorsports. Obviously, he's not going to miss a cup race to do it, um, but you know, for driver appearances and media obligations and things like that, as long as those obligations are met, it sounds like Kyle Larson will be able to participate in uh, dirt racing or whatever outside of NASCAR activities he wants to do. And with NASCAR doing potentially up to uh, 21 or 25 single-day shows next year, uh, based on some of the preliminary information about the 2021 schedule, that may leave a lot of race weekends open where Kyle Larson can run to a dirt track on Saturday evening since he doesn't have to practice or qualify and still make it to uh, to the cup race on Sunday. Um, I, I'm not, I guess they just decide to take the calculated risk with the potential of the driver getting injured. Um, you know, if that's what they need to trade off to get a talent like Kyle Larson, I think it's a pretty fair trade. Uh, as far as the move for Hendrick Motorsports, yeah, this was this was a slam dunk move for them. Um, prior to the whole Chip Ganassi thing, I don't think that there was any way that he was leaving Chip Ganassi. I know a lot of people had him on the short list to go to Hendrick Motorsports this year being a free agent. But prior to the whole controversy, I don't think there was a way that Chip Ganassi was going to let him go. But Kyle Larson being available via the circumstances that he created for himself, it seems like it's all kind of worked out for him. Uh, it's been a long road back. It's really interesting to see some of the things that he's done that really haven't been publicized, uh, different community outreach programs and whatnot. It's far more than just doing the sensitivity training and, you know, maybe making a mm-hmm. statement here and there. He's really immersed himself in a lot of things that have opened uh, his eyes and given him a different perspective on yeah, the world in general, I guess, is a good way to put it. Uh, Jeff Gordon talked about it a little bit on Race Hub of being really impressed with the steps that, uh, that Larson has taken to broaden his perspective and try and make things right with some of the people that he inadvertently hurt with his poor choice of words. So I think that uh, Kyle Larson is moving in the right direction, and I think Hendrick Motorsports is set to be a powerhouse next year. Uh, between Chase Elliott, who's maturing into a really strong veteran driver, William Byron getting paired with Rudy Fugel, a, a veteran winning championship winning crew chief, um, Alex Bowman moving, uh, continuing to move in the right direction in terms of de- development with that team, and now Kyle Larson coming in. That, is, that creates probably the strongest four-driver lineup in the entire Cup Series garage at this point, and I really look forward to seeing what Kyle Larson's able to do in that five car next year. Okay, follow up, Jay. Still think I won the bet. Um, a couple, couple things there. Uh, of, I know with Ganassi, the deal he had was, I think, a non, with one at one or two exceptions, not racing the night before a Cup race, especially if it wasn't in the same location. And I think back to uh, Michigan, he got special permission to run the Knoxville Nationals on Saturday night and then fly into Michigan on Sunday morning. So I'm sure there are some things that, that when it talks about not affecting his cup team or the status of it, even though they won't have practice and qualifying, I don't know if the day prior to a race would be an acceptable spot, but whether it be an off weekend or during the week that then it would become the media obligations or whatever. Uh, Like I said, we're going to have to see how this develops. We know that's where he is going now. Now it's a matter of, of how he does there. 
and I'm with Mike. I do think it's going to be a success long term. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree. I think you think I won the bet too, long- Sharon. <laughs> oh, I thought that's what you said. Don't okay. put me in Just the checking. middle of this. <laughs> what the what 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 number is Alex Bowman going to be sitting between? There's going to be one number to his right and one number to his left and one number above his head. What number is that going to be, Jay? It's still the same team. <laughs> I won the bet. Okay, okay. Now moving right along here <laughs> and talking about Kyle Larson. Uh, being in this number uh, 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 number five for next year with Hendrick Motorsports, um, I had a point that I wanted to make, and now I've totally forgotten what it was. I apologize for that. That was my fault. <laughs> uh, well, I probably should have jotted it down when I thought of it, but I, I didn't. Um, Mike, we'll go ahead and move on to you because I totally lost my train of thought. Sure. Well, you talk about for the final follow-up. My bet is you were thinking about the sponsorship angle for the number five car. Um, And that's going to be a challenge. Um, The big hurdle was Chevrolet, which is one of the sponsors that cut ties with Kyle Larson uh, back when this all kicked off. Chevy was one of the companies that very publicly severed ties with Kyle Larson, said Kyle Larson will not be driving Chevrolet. Well, obviously they've come around because Hendrick Motorsports is the flagship Chevrolet team. So getting Chevrolet back on board with allowing Kyle Larson to be associated with their brand was the first big step in the right direction. But it's going to take several more steps to get sponsorship on that car. Hendrick Motorsports has been struggling with sponsorship over the past few years. Uh, The 88 car for Alex Bowman this year has a patchwork of sponsorship, about two-thirds of which was really put together in the last month or so prior to the season kicking off since they lost nationwide insurance. And the 24 of William Byron also has some sponsorship issues with Hertz Rent-A-Car being in bankruptcy. That has caused three races in the playoffs to go unsponsored. If you'll notice when, uh, when William Byron is running the Hendrick Cars paint scheme, that's an unsponsored weekend for that 24 car. So Hendrick Motorsports already had sponsorship issues, and that just shows how much faith they had in the performance of Kyle Larson that they're willing to take as big of a risk as they did financially to put him in the car, and they're hoping that the results that Kyle Larson produces for the team as well as his current work outside of the race car speaks enough for itself that some of these other sponsors, in addition to Chevrolet, will come back and support Kyle Larson and the five team. Okay. We'll move on to the next hot topic. How about it, Jay? Well, speaking of William Byron, we saw or uh, saw on Jayski it has it posted that the crew actually at some point during the Texas weekend was removed uh, from the team and I believe left the track as they had tested positive for the COVID-19. We hadn't seen a whole lot of that from the NASCAR community. I know we had Jimmy Johnson and Austin Dillon, but it's the crew for the seven or number 24, and they will now get a crew that they provide to the number 47 over at JTG Dotary. That'll be the interim crew uh, that was there at Texas as well as now at Martinsville. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? 
My understanding was it was only one or two of the crew members who actually tested positive, but they pulled the entire over-the-wall crew just for purposes of since these guys are all working in close proximity to each other, they wanted to isolate them as all one group. I think that's probably the right move, at least until they get it sorted out of who actually contracted the virus and who didn't. And, you know, maybe one tire changer or one tire carrier, Jack, you know, a single position over the wall, maybe you can one-for-one swap them. But when you're talking about multiple numbers of the over-the-wall crew, it probably is better to just swap them out as a unit just because those guys do so many repetitions with each other, not just on the race weekend, but during the off week or, the, you know, the week off between the races, these guys are doing over-the-wall drills, you know, every single day, working together every single day. So they have a certain rhythm and a certain chemistry that you're probably going to disrupt more by trying to substitute in more than one person versus subbing in an entire new crew who's all also also been working together, you're probably going to get better results out of that new, entirely new together crew versus uh, a couple individual replacements. Yeah, I also understand that uh, in addition to uh, the positive tests that took place at the number of 2014, there was one member of the 95 team that woke up not feeling well. Uh, he did not participate on Wednesday, but because he tested negative, uh, the rest of the 95 crew was cleared to compete. So he wasn't feeling good. He tested negative, so they said uh, the crew could compete. But that's something to keep an eye on uh, along with this uh, going into Martinsville as well. So, uh, yeah, I think they did the right thing. Uh, you're right. They compete with each other throughout the week as well as over the weekend. And uh, if you've got uh, more than one driver uh, that is testing positive in that group, uh, you don't want to take any further chances. Uh, so they did the right thing there, I guess. Um, and hopefully uh, this will be an isolated situation and we won't see other uh, crew members uh, uh testing positive at Martinsville, that would be kind of a, a, a really a twist of fate, wouldn't it? It, w- it would be. And overall, I got to say, again, with how very few um, situations we've had with this, obviously NASCAR's protocol and the things they've done ha- has done a good job with that. I know where they were one of the first, if not the first sport, to really come back not just with the crews, but and then with the fans and everything else. So their procedures are working re- really well. Um, it's unfortunate for this crew uh, the way it has come out. But like you said, if it, it were a playoff team, how much of a, of a difference maker that could be. Uh, the one, th- the one thing I look at when we talk about them pulling the number forty-seven crew, and I know they're not in the playoffs as well, and how that works. We've seen this in the past uh, of a crew being trained or leased by another team and then them having control of it. So I, I haven't seen anything from JT Giugiardi, the, the number 47 of if there's any issues with that, but you run into a situation where one team actually controls the team of another or the crew members for another team. Uh, I believe it was Kyle Busch or Joe Gibbs racing in the uh, furniture row racing where, where we had that situation of, difference of opinion and how they should act and everything. So it'd be interesting to see how that comes into play, if at all. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? 
Well, I think it's just a matter of, you know, Hendrick Motorsports is a services provider as well as a competitive race team. Um, we see them fielding their four cars in competition every weekend, um, and their, mo- their engine program is also fairly well known. But Hendrick also does a lot of research and development for Chevrolet, uh, and they apparently also do pit crew training, and, and they provide them as well. Um, so it sounds like Hendrick has been providing a service to JTG, and there has become a need at Hendrick Motorsports that causes them to uh, withdraw that service that they're providing for because you know, they can they need it for their own purposes. Okay, um, I don't have anything more really to say. So Jay, what do you think? No, like you're right. It, it depends on how it's approached and how it's handled. In that case, it was a, a behavioral issue. I think that was the issue between the Furniture Row ones where that came into play. And again, I don't know what kind of contract they have. If they say, Hey, we'll provide you with this unless we need it. Like I said, I hadn't heard anything from JTG saying, Hey, it's putting us in a jam or whatever, or if they've uh, in the process been developing, developing some of their own, nothing I've seen shows what they're going to do to fill in for that. But I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing of where they got that team back from. Okay. So have we gone through this twice already? Um, Mike, what's your next topic? Well, um, I I had it on my list for yesterday, but the uh, or I guess Monday, but the uh, the final penalty report came out, and now we know what's going to happen. Um, we saw Chandler Smith have a rough pit stop uh, after some contact during the truck series race, and the uh, I believe it was the left rear wheel came detached from the truck during the uh, during the race. We knew that was going to be a penalty, and NASCAR made it official. I believe it was yesterday. Um, there will be a three-race penalty imposed on the crew chief, the car chief, and the tire changer uh, from that number 51 team. And since there's only two races left in the season, the truck series, that will carry over into the 2021 season uh, for those individuals wherever they may end up working next year, whether it's for the 51 team or elsewhere. Okay. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, we've seen this before, and I think it is one that does need to come into play. Again, of uh, that's a safety issue. Uh, I believe it was Kyle Bush's uh, team that it actually happened to last last time, which I, I was kind of curious to see, though, the fact of uh, had NASCAR not done something about it, we know what kind of owner and driver Kyle Bush is. What action he might have taken on his own uh, was always my curiosity in that situation. So, again, this happens to be a Kyle Busch team um, where that effect comes into play as far as repercussions within the team. But I like the fact that NASCAR is aware of that as a very big safety issue and that they are consistent with that, that penalty in what they hand down. Yeah, it was the number 51 Kyle Busch Motorsports team that was issued the penalty this time as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they they uh, they did they did the right thing again because this is a big safety issue. Uh, in addition to uh, the loss, uh, in addition to suspending the crew chief, Danny Stockman, they also suspended the tire charger, changer, Brandon Trano, and they're suspended for the next three truck series races. So uh, that carries over into the 2021 season opener, which uh, I thought was kind of interesting too. 
So uh, the two remaining races this year and the first race of next year, uh, those guys will be suspended. So, um, yeah, I, I think NASCAR did the right thing. These guys need to be, I don't know what happened, but you don't want to mess with a, a loose wheel on race day with the speeds that these guys are racing, and especially at a track like Texas Motor Speedway, where they can be going pretty darn fast. Mike? Yeah, I, it's, you're exactly right. It's a safety issue. It's really not even a safety issue so much for the, the car or truck, in this case, loses the wheel. It's not like they're going to try and make speed out there on the racetrack with three wheels. The problem really is that wheel and tire assembly, especially with an inner liner like they run at the, uh, the tracks greater than one mile, that weighs upwards of 50 pounds. And that, you know, it usually comes off of the truck or car, and it's moving pretty quick. We saw it went all the way from the end of pit road all the way in – well into turn one and across the banking towards turn two before it finally hit enough walls and whatnot that it stopped. So it carries that much weight, that much momentum for that far. If that hits a person or even another vehicle, that's going to cause a lot of damage. So that's where your safety issue comes in. And I absolutely agree that NASCAR needs to be pretty heavy handed with, uh, with their penalties for really anything that comes off these race cars. Um, you know, maybe not body damage and, and a panel comes off, but something that should be secured to the vehicle that's got some weight to it, you know, ballast, or in this case, a wheel and tire assembly, they, they need to be very serious about penalizing teams that don't secure them properly. It certainly wasn't intentional, but things happen, and it looks like there wasn't very good communication on pit road where they dropped the truck before the tire changer had gotten the lug nuts on, and away the truck went because that's a signal to the driver. So knowing what the penalty is and knowing how severe it can be, hopefully that becomes a focus for pit crew practice of let's work on our communication to make sure that we don't put our team in that position again where we put an unsafe truck out on the track and we get our teammates suspended. That's hopefully the message that gets taken away from this. Exactly right. And especially uh, the 51 team I don't think is a playoff team, but especially if it's a playoff team, uh, you don't want this happening. But, um, yeah, these guys guys really do need to to be aware of what they're doing. Uh, They've got to have their signals down. It just goes to show you just how intense all of this is on pit road and uh, how easy it is for a miscue. Uh, but this is one of those things that these guys, they, I know they practice and practice and practice a lot throughout the week. Um, so that practicing should avoid all of uh, those kind of miscues happening on pit road. Uh, so uh, like Mike said, this is uh, a really severe uh, consequence if uh, the, if it all goes bad uh, at some point when that wheel comes off. So, yeah, you, you just can't mess around with it. So, Mike, your follow-up. Jay, did I miss you? Well, I didn't really have any follow-up there. Uh, I think, again, it comes down to the safety issue, and that is something that is a total um, can be controlled, you know, Mike mentioned other parts coming off. There's only so much they can do in the case of, I know that they've developed where they have tethers to certain parts of the car. So that in the event of something like 
uh, coming off during an accident, it's obviously uncontrolled. This is something that can be controlled, and that's where NASCAR wants to put a stop to it because, again, then it's a matter of safety that can be controlled versus, uh, you know, again, an accident. Parts are going to come off. There's nothing you can do with the exception of, like I said, they've developed tethers to the hood or certain parts to try and make sure they don't fly off. Exactly. Okay, Mike, your your final thoughts on it? Yeah, the one thing that kind of strikes me on this one, Jay talked about, yeah, they got tethers and whatnot. Obviously, it's impractical. You can't tether a wheel and tire assembly to the car because it gets changed during the race. Um, the thing that really has me concerned about this is right now, if they miss one lug nut, Eh, not a big deal. Maybe a $10,000 fine for the crew chief, which is kind of small potatoes for them. Um, if they miss two lug nuts, not a big deal. Um, but in 2021, there's only going to be one lug nut on the whole wheel for the cup cars. So if they miss that one lug nut, we might end up seeing more detached wheel and tires come off of these cars, especially as the pit crews start getting used to that Gen 7 car and the signal lug nut that they're talking about doing. So that that should hopefully be something that they're uh, that NASCAR and the teams are looking at is how can we prevent missing that one lug nut to the point where now we've got a wheel and tire coming off of the car because that one lug nut worked its way loose. Okay. <laughs> Jay, what's your next set topic? Uh, it's coming up uh, here at 929, so if you want to uh, oh, do the uh, statement here. Yes, uh, for any new listeners that are tuning in tonight for the first time, uh, just an alert here that we do go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, and that might mean that we'll be mid-sentence at that point. Uh, what happens, though, is that we continue to record the conversation, even though we're no longer on the air, and uh, that part of the conversation is available on our podcast. So what happens is when we finish up here on the show tonight, I'll come out with a tweet uh, that lets fans know that the podcast is uh, now available. All you have to do then is to go fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Uh, we like to let our new listeners know uh, so that no one's uh, taken back when we go off air mid-sentence uh, during the show here. Uh, for podcast listeners, it'll be pretty seamless. You'll be able to listen straight through. Uh, but again, we like to just alert everybody so that there are no surprises. So with that, uh, Jay, I believe you're up next. Or is it Mike? No, I think it's Jay. Yeah, uh, the other official news thing that I don't think we had talked about, I know we had for the Cup Series, but when the truck and Xfinity schedules came out, the Circuit of America is going to be on the schedule for all three series. Uh, I believe it's Friday night for the trucks, Saturday for Xfinity, and then Cup on on Sunday. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think we have talked about this. Um, We have yet to get the full uh, schedule for 2021 for the NASCAR Cups or NASCAR Trucks and Xfinity Series. So getting confirmation that Coda is going to be on the schedule for all three national series just makes that weekend even cooler. Um, I really look forward to seeing all three series on the uh, on the track. I think we're going to see three very different races from the three different series. Take a look at how the three races at the Daytona Road Course this year were, just for you know kind of a, a look at 
how three different series and three different types of racing vehicles, uh, how they perform on the same racetrack. And I look forward to seeing how that develops with Coda next year. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. I, I think this is just makes the whole life stuff even that much cooler. Uh, I'm super excited that uh, Circuit of the Americas is now on the NASCAR schedule and to hear that all three series are going to be racing there just makes the pot sweeter. Um, I, I, uh, I can't wait to see the schedule coming out and to find out when uh, th- those races are going to be taking place. I hope they're on the same weekend. Uh, if they're not, that's okay too. But uh, I-, I think it's a great thing that the, they've uh, included both the truck series as well as the cup series on this uh, road course. I-, I think it's going to be fantastic. Jay? Yeah, I do believe it was announced. That was the portion that they said it will be those they knew that it would be the same weekend as the Cup Series. So that makes it a full weekend there. And I'm in favor of it. You guys have heard me talk about it. Not that the Roval hasn't gone well. The Daytona road course actually came out pretty good. I know we're going to see the Indianapolis road course come into play. But there are so many designed road courses out there and available. I like to see that. And I think I'm not the anti-mile-and-a-half person, but I think maybe it was a change in that Texas area um, for something a little bit different. So I think overall, and I like the fact that NASCAR is taking that chance, uh, again, of if this doesn't work out, at least they tried that and see what happens. If they go back to Texas Motor Speedway or have to make another change in a year or two, three, however many that's set up for you know, that they'll do that. That tells me, though, they're looking at making things better. And even though what's there may not be the best, they're at least looking to try and improve it. So I like the fact that they did go to a, like I said, a designed road course. Yes. Mike? Yeah, uh, Jay says he's not the anti-mile-and-a-half guy, but I think it's well known that me and Andy kind of are at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I really like the fact that they added Coda to the series schedule for all three uh, national touring series. Uh, I'd like to see them continue to uh, to branch out in terms of the different tracks that they go to. Um, and I think Coda is a great step. I think it's probably the most interesting and exciting new race that's been added to the schedule probably in at least the ten, last 10 to 15 years. Um, so seeing Coda added, uh, I think it, it opens the door to new opportunities for the sport to grow and hopefully reach out to new fans because I think there's going to be a lot of Formula One fans. So I know they're not, they're not double-headering with Formula One that weekend, but there's going to be a lot of Formula One fans who are familiar with Coda uh, via watching the Grand Prix of the, of the United States at Coda with the Formula One cars who may tune into NASCAR and hopefully they like what they see and they can become fans of our sport as well. That sounds good. I like the crossover idea there. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just super excited about it, and that's all I'm going to say. Because there's not a lot more to say about it. So, Jay, what are your final thoughts? Well, I know you said you were talking about when it falls on the schedule. I hope that it does. Uh, I know that you spend some time down there. That it's a, a weekend that you're able to attend uh, uh, down there. So, yes. hopefully, that works out for you. Yep, I'm I'm really going to try to make that happen next year for sure. 
Now, I do have another topic I want to bring up, and it's one that I don't think we've talked about yet. But on October 23rd, uh, Chicagoland Speedway, uh, I saw a post that said Chicagoland Speedway's president is leaving. Uh, So Scott Paddock is leaving uh, Chicagoland Speedway. uh, And in a letter to Joliet officials informing them of his departure, Paddock said that the Speedway staff will continue to work with NASCAR and other other racing organizations on a potential future opportunities beyond 2021. Uh, Paddock has been the track president at Chicagoland Speedway since 2011. So, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, to see, because I think he's done a good job there. It is one of those, though, with them currently not being on next year's schedule kind of leaves you in a situation of what are you supposed to do. Um, And I don't know if he's got another position. He may be moving to another track that is a a full NASCAR or whatever, but he's got to do what's best for him. And unfortunately, and I know we talked about this as far as the news of Chicagoland itself, uh, I hope that there are plans in place for NASCAR to return there uh, however, they need to make it work. We don't know if it'd be on a rotating basis or whatever. As I mentioned, I like to see NASCAR trying new things, like Mike said, new markets and whatever. But Chicagoland was one of those, especially when it comes to the mile and a half, that was providing some great racing action. So I, I was a little shocked initially even to see that that was one of them that did get cut or uh, taken away. Uh, Again, I'm not in the NASCAR board meetings and what they all look at, but that really did surprise me. And I do hope that they have a future down the road. Uh, But I I wish him the best of of what he's got to do for himself and his own career. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, obviously the uh, the continuing departure of staff from Chicagoland Speedway is a is a cause for concern. Um, Hopefully, they can right the ship and and keep that speedway around. Well, uh, with the uh, they had a lot of the staff dismissed uh, this year with the COVID and losing their uh, their race date this year, didn't they? Uh, have they not brought that staff back? Well, I'm assuming they did. That's... Well, they weren't there for there was no race, so that staff wouldn't be there. But the the normal track staff is there. Okay. Well, either way, you know, it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on as far as what uh, what direction Chicagoland Speedway is moving in. And like Jay said, hopefully they can figure out a way to, if they don't get a Cup Series date back, at least get something that keeps the Speedway around and viable and, and available. Uh, we saw National Super Speedway. They went almost a decade without any sort of NASCAR or national touring date, and here they are back on the Cup schedule for next year. So, you know, so long as they don't bulldoze the place, the Chicagoland Speedway is always going to be a viable option as far as bringing back um, at least some some NASCAR presence to the to the racetrack. Um, the question is, what kind of other outside pressures are there on the Speedway? And I, I don't know. I'm not sure who uh, who outside of the business uh, of NASCAR would really know. But I can assume that the taxes there are going to be pretty high, and there's going to be a lot of demand for the property um, that maybe whoever is the uh, the owner of the property might start looking at other ways 
to make money with it versus just holding a speedway on there in the hopes that some future development will come around. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we do see Chicagoland Speedway back in some capacity or another. Uh, but it's definitely something to keep an eye out for the uh, you know the next year or so and see what what direction that speedway seems to be going in. Yeah, no, they they did try to take it to the city and uh, uh, have it rezoned for industrial, but the city turned that plan down. So as far as I know, uh, right now at least that that's not an option uh, from the for for that property. So that leaves the door open, I guess, for another. Uh, opportunity for NASCAR to race there, hopefully beyond 2021 uh, as far as 2022 goes. But uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. Um, uh, Paddock has been good for the track. I hate to see him leave. Uh, I, you know, I personally just thank him for all that he's done uh, since 2011 as a uh, track president there. I think he's been good for the for that uh, area. Uh, good for the track, and uh, it will be interesting to see what he moves on to beyond Chicago and Speedway. Um, and I'll be curious to know who comes into that uh, role uh, for the next seat for for when they do do racing again at that track. Um, but uh, as far as I know, the city turned down any industrial uh, expansion in that area, so. That is pretty much not on the table right now. So, Jay, what's your other thoughts? Well, and I know we haven't seen any follow-up on that, and I don't remember who it was that was quoted as saying that fight wasn't over yet when it came to Chicagoland. That was uh, the thing Paddock. I fear. Okay, wasn't Paddock? I wasn't. I couldn't remember for sure, and maybe that has to do with part of his departure. Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, hopefully, though, that there is still some involvement there. Uh, on behalf of the track itself, like Mike mentioned, of, of at least sustaining it so it is a viable option down the road. I know we mentioned Nashville. Uh, there are some other things that have happened there, but I think of uh, several, though, North Wilkesboro, uh, Myrtle Beach, that have tried over the years and just couldn't do it and, and end up falling by the wayside. And it's extremely sad, and I've seen it with some dirt tracks as well. Uh, that that just isn't uh, the norm when it comes to that. So if it's not within a year or two or a set plan of a future, uh, things don't look particularly good for Chicagoland. Okay. Uh, I know that they usually have other activities besides the racing. I know at Christmas time there's usually some kind of activity uh, that's going on there. Um so we'll have to wait and see if uh, some of those activities continue to happen there. It would be a shame to see this facility uh, not be used. Okay, um, let's move on to the next half topic. Mike, I think you're next. Yeah, this is really cool. Uh, Eddie Gossage, the president of Texas Motor Speedway, um, he made an announcement uh, during the race on Wednesday evening that all the fans who had their tickets scanned to enter the track on Wednesday to see the cup race run when they finally got it running uh, Wednesday evening, um, they've been granted the title of, like, Texas Motor Speedway hardcore fans or, or whatever the actual title they put on them. But the really cool thing about it is, 
Um, as a result of being this hardcore fan for Texas Motor Speedway, all those fans who had their tickets scanned on Wednesday evening to see the cup race, they're going to get free hot pit passes for the Cup Series All-Star Race next season. I thought that was really, really cool for Eddie Gossage to do that for those fans. Okay, Jay? Yeah, uh, 100% agree. This was a very good thing, and I, and I had forgotten about it, that, to have that on the hot topics. But to see a track, NASCAR, whatever level it came from, uh, to do that. I know that a lot of tracks do certain things for their season ticket holders and things like that. This was a little bit above and beyond and, and due to the situation, and that those fans are being, I don't want to say rewarded, but compensated. Again, they, they cost them, what, three or four extra days or whatever, so... I think that is a really cool move by uh, the track uh, as well as NASCAR. Absolutely. How could you not be in favor of what Eddie Gossage and Texas Motor Speedway are doing for their fans? And, you know, those fans did go out of their way. Uh, You know, that race was supposed to take place on Sunday. It it didn't take place till Wednesday. And, And that was extra money out of their pocket in order to to be there, uh, to be able to be able to go to that race. So, yeah, I I applaud them for doing that. Uh, Yeah, I think it is Hardcore Fans uh, is their title, and uh, it's really cool that that, uh, they're doing that for those guys. Uh, Well-deserved, and uh, I hope they all enjoy it. Mike? Yeah, it's been a tough year for race fans. For most of the season, fans haven't been able to show up. So it's really neat to to see that we're finally getting race fans back to the racetracks to begin with. And now we're seeing track owners kind of go out of their way of saying, you know, thanks for not just showing up to the race, because I wouldn't say anyone can show up to a race, but at least, you know, these guys, you know, the fans showed up not only for that race, but they stuck around, like you said, spent extra money on hotel rooms or if they lived locally, driving back and forth to the racetrack uh, in order to make sure that they were there to see that Cup Series race. So the track going out of their way to uh, to, to recognize those fans, I think, was a great move. Uh, and I think it's gonna, it speaks really highly for the leadership of uh, Texas Motor Speedway doing something like that for them. Okay. Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, we've seen that, and I would have to say that that Texas Motor Speedway, Eddie Gossage, is one that has always been about the fans. Uh, We've seen different tracks uh, that have changed up and set up differently to try and do more fan uh, appreciation things or accommodations-wise, and and I think that that's one of the things I know in the declining television ratings as well as attendance that all of NASCAR needs to look at, and, and this is a step in that direction again as well, that will continue that and show that they are dedicated to their fans, knowing that the fans are what do make this sport. Without a doubt. Okay. I don't have much to add to it. I just think it's really wonderful that they're doing it. And uh, again, I, I hope the fans really enjoy uh, getting those hot passes and, and uh, being able to spend that time. Mike, your final thoughts. Well, that's about it. Um, 
hopefully by the time we come around to the uh, the All-Star race next year, they haven't announced a specific date that I'm aware of. I, I think it's in the spring at some point. It almost always is. But hopefully by the time we get to, get to that All-Star race, we're back to a little bit more of a normal uh, fan participation in terms of being able to fill the grandstands, get these fans back into the racetracks. Um, so it's great to, uh, that some of these fans got an opportunity to see the race. Hopefully more fans in the not-so-distant future get a chance to get out there and see a race in person. Okay. Uh, Jay, any other hot topics on your list? Uh, always. Uh, those were the all the official ones or concrete ones that we had or that I knew of. The one I, I had listed here is my first one, and it's one that I think uh, really looking forward to possibly. Uh, GMS Racing has announced that Zane Smith as well as Sheldon Creed will be returning to the team. However, Brett Moffitt has not made an announcement and it had some type of statement that he didn't have any to make at this time. We've seen him running some Xfinity Series races, so it makes me wonder about his future and where it may be. Okay, Mike? Yeah, I'm not sure whose toes Brett Moffitt has stepped on at some point, but I've never seen a driver with as much success as Brett Moffitt have so much uncertainty about what he does year over year. Uh, He lost his truck series ride uh, coming off as a defending champion. He lost his truck series ride a couple years ago, and here we are. He's in the final four in this year's truck series season, and he doesn't have a final nailed-down plan, and it doesn't sound like he's shortlisted for any real competitive ride, either in the truck series or in the Xfinity series. So I'm not sure what it is with Brett Moffitt, but I would, I would hope that his success starts to speak for itself at some point, and some of these team owners take a good, hard look and realize that Brett Moffitt might be the guy they need to look at if they want to spend some more time in victory lane. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's kind of a head scratcher when you realize the success that he's had uh, for him to kind of be in this position. But I guess it comes down to uh, Zane Smith talks about it all the time. He doesn't come from a family that has a lot of money, and a lot of these guys have to really hustle uh, to be able to race every week. Um, and uh, I've got a feeling that that's the position that Brett Moffat's in. Uh, I hate to see that for him uh, because he is, uh, I think, a, gr- a great driver. Uh, I don't know what his fan base is, but I would guess that he's probably got a pretty good fan base. Um, so why he's in that position, I'm not sure. Uh, but I really wish him the best, and I hope that things do work out for him. Jay? Well, a bit differently, and I don't know if he lost that ride or chose to move to GMS when he moved from Hattori Racing. I know sponsorship and all that always comes into play uh, when you have the opportunity to sign a younger driver. We've seen that come into play in a lot of a lot of different positions. But I was more of the thought of of maybe he does have something he's working on. We've seen him run in the Xfinity Series with a, again an underfunded team, if you will, and perform really well. So uh, I'm hoping that maybe that's what he's looking at and waiting to see if he can finalize that. Obviously, some sponsorship money would help that and improve and even step that game up. Um, But I think he's got to be looking towards a move towards the Xfinity Series. We've seen what he can do in the trucks, coming off a truck championship, going to a new team, and taking that team to the championship as well. So you're right. His talent speaks for itself. It's a matter of getting in the right position with the right team. 
uh, and at the right time, as always. So true. Mike? Yeah, the uh, the future for Brett Moffitt, you know, based on merit alone, I think Brett Moffitt is very deserving of a competitive ride. But like you said, I don't think he brings anything to the table in terms of sponsorship or family connection to sponsorship. So like you said, that really complicates the picture where, yeah, you can have a talented race car driver, but unless you're bringing Kyle Larson-level talent to the table, a lot of teams aren't going to take a chance on a driver who's not bringing any sponsorship with them as well. So hopefully Brett Moffitt continues to be successful in the, uh, the truck series, Xfinity series, or wherever he chooses to race, and hopefully that success gets, uh, gets the attention of a sponsor who's willing to stick their neck out there and support Brett Moffitt and get him those opportunities to, uh, to showcase his talents at a higher level. Exactly right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I can't say it much better than that. So, Jay, your final thoughts? Well, looking forward to, to, to when he does finally make an announcement. I do think he will be racing somewhere in NASCAR's top three if it's a return to GMS racing uh, in the truck series or if he is able to make the move into an Xfinity ride. Uh, hopefully it is a good program or one that, again, is, uh, like I mentioned, on, on the uprise in building and that he takes it to that next level and gets some bigger, more attention, sponsorship, whatever's needed for him to continue. Because uh, like you both said, I mean, his numbers, his his stats and everything speak for themselves. Yes, they do. Okay. Mike, did you have any other hot topics for tonight? Um, really nothing specific. I, we can, we can do a quick recap of uh, what butts are still in the air right now, if we want, as far as uh, the cup series silly season goes. Okay. All right. Well, I don't know if what what do you got, Jay? No, go go with what you got. I'll see what what I'll add to it. If I got any. All right. So by my count, it looks like, uh, we've got, um, Ty Dillon and Corey LaJoy, who are both not spoken for in terms of current Cup Series ride and uh, and have not been spoken for by any other team. Is, uh, is there anybody else out there that I'm forgetting here? No, th- those were the two that I had on my mind. So the Eric real question Jones. is, where do oh, no, where we, we think – uh, Eric Jones is going. Yeah, yeah Eric Jones know. is going to be driving for Richard Petty. So with that in mind – is there anywhere you think that uh, that Corey LaJoy or Ty Dillon could land that would be a good fit for them? Or do you think they might be moving back to the Xfinity series and, uh, and probably being a, a fairly decent contender back there? Jay? Well, I know it's been mentioned in a, I guess, worst case scenario. Uh, Ty Dillon obviously can go back, go with the Richard Childress racing, go back to a full-time ride with them. Uh, they have that opportunity for him if that's the case as needed. Corey LaJoy is the one that I think, unfortunately, maybe um, followed suit of Matt DiBenedetto, took a chance on himself, and it didn't pan out. I know there's still a couple of cup rides uh, that I don't know then that would be a step up from Go Fast Racing, which is what he intended to do when he opted to not return to them. Um Spiral Motorsports is one of them. Again, we haven't heard or know much as far as the the money team other than they still say that, that their intent is to race in 2021. Uh, the closer it gets here to the end of the 2020 season, though, if we don't have any announcement from them, I'd, I'm losing faith in that, uh, the fact that we haven't heard anything from them. 
but that again would be a startup team. So I don't know if it's a step up or not from go fast racing. So I think he's kind of the one in the box. And I know people that say, well, Ty is going to utilize his family uh, connections or whatever, but Childress has a good Xfinity series program and having him there as a leader of that, along with some of the development they've been doing, I don't think would be a bad thing. And I do believe he has the talent. It is not that he is taking advantage of it with no talent, as I think there has been some in the past, but uh, I think he may end up back in the Xfinity series. Yeah, it's so hard to say what's going to happen. I think either one of those guys would be good in the Xfinity series. I think that they would be – they would be uh, top competitors in that series. Uh, and we'll just have to kind of wait and see how this plays out. Uh, you know, I was thinking about the teams that haven't really um, made an announcement yet, too, uh, of who their driver is going to be. I've got uh, Corey LaJoy as a question mark for the number 77 at Spire Motorsports uh, on the J-Ski uh, list here. We've got uh, Daniel Suarez now with uh, uh, Trackhouse, but then there's the money team, too. Have they announced who their driver is going to be? I don't think they have. So those are possibilities yet, too, in the Cup Series. So it is going to be interesting to see how this uh, ends up happening for both of those drivers because I think they're both worthy of being in Cup cars. But... uh, you know, they might be at a point in their career where they want to be in uh, better equipment. I think they'd be better off going to the Xfinity Series, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but, Mike, what are your thoughts? All right, I'm going to go on record on this one. And, Jay, a case of Mountain Dews on the table on this one. Santa Claus <laughs> will be the Grand Marshal of the Daytona 500. And the Tooth Fairy will drive the pace car before the money team ever fields a NASCAR Cup Series car. I don't think that team exists. <laughs> I know they've made statements. I know they've said things. But they will never field a car. They're a publicity move. I don't think that that's a, a legitimate NASCAR Cup Series attempt. So I, I would not put them on any sort of a short list as far as a team that's just waiting to announce a driver or, or anything else from there. Um, as far as the Spire number 77, um, that I don't know that they're even looking really for a full-time driver from there. Um, they've been doing the pay driver kind of rotational thing over the past few years, and I don't know that they've got the sponsorship backing to really invest in getting a full-time driver. So they're probably going to end up looking to have to do the pay, pay driver thing again for 2021. And as far as I know, Corey LaJoy brings little, if, not, if, if any, sponsorship to the deal in order to buy himself into that ride. And honestly, I'm with Jay. I think that, that Spire's number 77 while it being a cup series ride would still be a step down from the 32 go fast car and i think you could find better opportunities in the xfinity series um potentially with colleague racing or some of the other up and coming xfinity series teams i think a talent like Corey lejoy or ty dillon for that matter if he doesn't want to fall back into the rcr realm i think that would be a much better opportunity for them Um, both in terms of on-track opportunities for 2021, but also looking at longer-term career potential. They could end up going to that Spire 77 and never be heard from again. 
versus if they go to the Xfinity Series and they start winning races and winning championships in the Xfinity Series, now they're highlighting themselves again as maybe somebody, one of these competitive Cup Series teams, wants to take another look at. So I understand the drive to want to be in the Cup Series, but in terms of continuing to develop your career, it may be a better move for these guys to go back to the Xfinity Series, drive a competitive race car, and really audition again for another cup-level opportunity at a competitive Cup Series team. Jay? Well, first off, again, I'm a betting man, and I may not think I have a chance. The odds are just there. So I'll take that, I'll take that bet of, of Santa Claus versus the Tooth Fairy. Um, I am losing, like I said, I am losing faith in the, in this money team deal. Like I said, just that there hasn't been any other announcement other than they intend to field a car. We haven't heard anything about manufacturer, driver, crew, shop, anything. So I don't have a whole lot of stock in it, but I will take that above Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. So I will take that bet. Um, talk about Spire Motorsports and, and Corey LaJoy or Ty Dillon there. I understand there's always that decision of do you stay in the Cup Series and keep your name in the Cup Series versus going back and winning or, or a top contending team in the Xfinity Series. Spire Motorsports, I think, is one of those, at least is my hope, does appear to be building or at least attempting and to grow uh, that we've seen. They've won a Cup race, with it be by strategy, however you want to put it. Um, but I think they're at least there and making that commitment in the attempt to grow and eventually sponsors and drivers got to look at that. And to be a part of it uh, for a driver like Corey LaJoy or Ty Dillon, we know has cup experience, could be what they need to fill in that gap and get to that next level. So uh, I'm sure that I know Sharon said that that's where Corey LaJoy is question marked under, under Jayski's chart. Um, I think that he has to look at whether or not it turns out to be a step up or not from go fast racing which obviously the way it turned out, go fast racing, cutting back and scaling back, maybe he kind of saw that writing coming. So uh, from that aspect, it would be a step up as if Spire is going to run at least full time. Yeah, Spire, remember, they're the ones who bought the charter and the assets from Levine Family Racing. And so they announced that they intend to run two full-time cars in 2021 uh, so we're kind of waiting to to see who those drivers are going to be. They had Chastain and Haley kind of mentioned in here, but I don't see that happening at this point. Uh, but I do think that uh, I do think that Spire is going to have a couple of drivers in that car. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see who those who's who those drivers are going to be. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts before we close off the show here? I could be wrong, but didn't Spire lease their second charter that they had? Because you're right, they they did buy the Levine Family Racing Charter. So Spire Motorsports owns two charters. But correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they did lease one of those charters to Trackhouse Racing. Is that correct? I don't know. I don't think so. But, Jay? Okay. Well, Mike, Mike, you weren't on here. It was Sharon and I only the night we talked about this. Uh, the Spire Motorsports team originally had one, one charter, and they leased it to so-and-so, and so-and-so borrowed theirs, and the other one went here, and somebody owns half of that one, and I think I own a quarter of the one over here. Nobody knows. This charter system is messed up. It didn't work. 
Uh, like I said, I know you weren't on for that night, but uh, I do think they do have two full-time. I don't think they were the ones involved in borrowing or leasing or selling or whatever right. it is they're doing with it. Um, but I do think they do have two full-time, and that is their intent. Now, by the saying that their intent is to have the full, uh, full-time ride, it may be where they are one that has multiple drivers in it as they have, but I think that at least one of them will be one driver, one car, full team for the year. I think the other one might be a part-time driver spot-wise. They want to have the car out there for the whole year, but that the driver rotation may be different. That's my assumption. Um, so to answer your question, though, as far as the charter, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. So any any final thoughts besides that, Mike? Yeah, it's a, it's a game of three-card Monty that's even worse than uh, than Hendrick Motorsports. You know, you you got to watch the little marble under the cup, and you got to watch the three cups zipping around and figure out who's still got the charter in their hands, I guess. Um, yeah, no no real follow-ups on that one. Um, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of dominoes left to fall, though, for the 2021 season. A couple drivers who might or may not end up back in the Cup Series, uh, but all the all the competitive Cup Series rides, as far as I understand, are all spoken for at this point. Okay. We'll let that be the final word, and uh, we'll go ahead and do the roundtable. Mike, we'll go ahead and start with you. Yeah, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter and Mike underscore underscore O on uh, Reddit. Um, the first one with only one underscore was taken. I wasn't quick enough to the party. Uh, don't forget to get your votes in for the NASCAR most popular driver uh, via NASCAR.com. Follow the links on there. Uh, vote for Matt Benedetto, of course, in the Cup Series. I'll continue to lobby for him um, and get your votes in. I believe that closes out a, a next week in the Phoenix race. Okay. And Jay? All right. Uh, you can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And Mike, I'll up the ante with the uh, the 12 pack of Mountain Dew. Whatever charters I may own part of, I'll throw that into the bet if you win. All right, so nothing plus nothing times nothing, carry it and nothing. Go. There you go. That leaves there me you go. with. That, that's how you come up with who owns what charters. All right. <laughs> Uh, are you going to be at a racetrack this weekend, Jay? Oh, shoot. What? A, well, we got, we're a little bit closer to the hurricane weather. I know we got Columbus Speedway, the baddest bullring in the south, is running the Reaper, uh, planning to anyway. So that's five minutes from the house. So it's a possibility it might show up there. Nashville Fairgrounds is running the All-American 400, and it is a very high possibility it might show up there on Sunday. All right. I am Van for Racing Sites on Twitter, Van for Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including VanforRacing.com. Uh, watch for uh, the Cash and Pass, uh, Cash or Pass for uh, um, Martinsville Speedway this weekend, as well as the recap from Martinsville Speedway from, uh, let's see, Cash and Pass from uh, Owen Stewart and the recap from uh, Sam Bornhorst. And uh, we'll also have the other recaps up from the Newswire and uh, 
uh, I'm looking forward to the races this weekend. I think the intensity level is going to be at an all-time high, and uh, it's going to be fun if we get the racing in because the hurricanes, I think, are are possible. Are hurricanes around Martinsville? There is some weather that way as well. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. So we might run into some weather again this weekend, uh, but stay tuned. Hopefully, we won't go into midweek next week. So. Uh, everybody enjoy your race weekend. Thanks to the fans for tuning in, and thanks to our fan for racing crew uh, for being here every week uh, to help us with our, our radio show. So with that, uh, I think we'll just call it a wrap, guys. All right. Good night, All right. Everybody. Have a good night. Good night.